the garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your host, Beta Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning. Welcome to Mid-South Gardening. It's raining out there, y'all. Did you notice? Yeah, no. a little thunder this morning. Thunder and driving in mm-hmm. lightning. I'm like, yes. Where am I? Yeah, that usually follows the thunder. Or <laughs> precedes the thunder. Yeah. That's why that song is thunder and lightning. <laughs> I mean, but I was driving like 30 on the interstate for a few. Uh, yeah, I was driving 20 down Walnut Grove Ooh. all the way, uh-huh. and 30 on the interstate. And I mean, when's the last time I saw lightning or heard thunder? In February. Yeah. What? Okay, that, that must be a folklore <laughs> somewhere. the last time you went 30 on the interstate. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah. True that, Jim. <laughs> oh, yeah, but it's, uh, hey, you know, I don't mind it. Nope, me neither. I think it's all day, though. I think it's raining all day. Well, Beta, it's, it's Saturday, okay? No. Oh, you well. understand? Yeah. Oh, that's why. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's off and on, though, because this little... Mm-hmm. This little uh, shower they went by was was just, you know, very, very, not very wide. Oh, that's true. But later today, it's going to start raining more gooder, <laughs> more heavier. Well, it's not a whole lot you want to do outside today, I wouldn't think, when it comes to gardening, honestly. It, Unless you're uh, moving your water lilies around, Mr. It, it, Jim. You know, but it sure is a shame that we can't with 65-degree weather, you know. Yeah, Isn't that the truth? Yeah. It was 65 on my thermometer in the car coming yeah. in this morning. And probably yeah. that's why we are seeing, yeah. you know, the lightning and hearing the thunder. Oh, I had a, have a, you know, you are, usually put a jacket on when you leave in the wintertime. <laughs> And I had to turn on the air conditioning in the truck I was burning up. <laughs> <laughs> Again, only in Memphis, yeah, right? right? Good right. Lord. Uh, the only I thing that's really growing out there right now are just some broadleaf weeds, mm. honestly. Yeah, little chickweed, some hen bit, little poana. Those are solamenders. <laughs> <laughs> but they are. <laughs> they they are. could be, yes. They are solamenders. There's other ways we can do it, Jim. Yeah. We can get an, like an aerator and run that over it and kill the weeds, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Free emergence. Well, to, but that won't kill the weeds that are showing now. You're right, Veda. So get that pre-emergent down for sure to keep that weed seed from coming up that hadn't come up mm-hmm. yet. And I promise you, there's a billion out there that hadn't come up. But any of those old broadleaf weeds that are up and growing now, not today. No rain for 24 hours. But you can go out there and mm-hmm. spray to kill those things in these mild temperatures. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was talking to my brother, or well, we were texting, and he um, was like, "Well." This is in Dallas, or not Dallas, Houston. And he said, well, I'm replacing my palms again. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's like they have the same issue we have. Right, got really <laughs> cold down there. Yeah. I know, I was down there. No, that's right, that's right. <laughs> oh, no. when, yeah, when I was on the south. coast when it got that yeah. cold. And, you know, and what about Roundup, Jim? You know how forever and a day, you know, they're going to take the active ingredient out, out of the Roundup label. Right. I mean, the Roundup Roundup is not going to have glyphosate in it anymore. That's correct. Uh, in fact, we got some Roundup in the other day, and it already has the new label on it. Doesn't. Uh, but the still the active ingredient that we've always used that was in the Roundup brand still available. Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, even high yield kills all mm-hmm. uh, is, you know, has the old fashioned mm-hmm. uh, roundup. But so, but why is that? I mean, with all the litigation and everything. Well, I, that's the thing, right? You know, Monsanto's a big company and or now Bayer that owns it. Uh, and they just did not want to have any more litigation involved, no. you know, for whatever reason. You've had three or four huge um, settlements for yeah. the plaintiffs where. You know, the 
claim that Roundup caused cancer. Right. There isn't any proof of that, but there was enough uh, influence. Yeah, and enough indication that that they were trying that the company was trying to hide something. Gotcha. That uh, that caused it. Plus. There's never been much information on the surfactants that are in it. And that was, See, that that's was what I was reading thing, about. Right. Yeah, it's not just the chemical, it, yeah. the weed killer itself. Mm-hmm. It's also the Thin, additives right, to it. Right. And they're saying that could even be, worse, if it is, more dangerous than worse. even the... Yeah, and nobody's mm-hmm. really done much testing on those. You know, they've been trying for years to prove that Roundup is was, you know, just the worst thing to come along. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but there's never, ever been any proof that Roundup <laughs> actually... The, the chemical the Roundup. glyphosate yeah. actually causes cancer answer right well the yeah. new roundup's got the and this is kind of what shot me a little bit it's got diquat we've all heard mm-hmm. of that uh triclopyr of course we've heard of that and um fusillate yeah and now that the diquat becomes a real problem now uh, because um it it get, goes away pretty quickly in the soil yeah. okay but it kills your foliage so quickly yeah that any systemic insect, uh, any systemic herbicide in it, which is, is not going to have time to get to the roots. Hmm. You know, it'll burn the foliage off. Yeah. So any tenacious weeds, I'm not sure that it's going to do a really good job on. But it just have to wait and see. We'll see. It never did a when when glufosinate was offered under the finale name. It never did a good job on nutsedge. You know, it would turn it yellow, but it would recover. So because it would kill the top so fast. Right. And it may be that the diquat would help that. Yeah. But we'll see. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, this right. is all interesting, though. Yeah, because they didn't take glyphosate off the kills all, you know, so it's still in there. And that's what I had read a number of years ago. It wasn't the glyphosate. It was the inert ingredients right. that they were mixing it with. Well, yeah. so I know it's yeah. confusing to a lot of people, but the skinny is you can still get the old-fashioned Roundup, just not under the Roundup brand name. Mm-hmm. The new Roundup brand name has different active ingredients in it now. Um, And, you know, we'll see how it goes. Um, Uh, One of the problems is some of these decisions are not being made by science-based recommendation or from scientists. Just this past week, the federal courts ruled that farmers cannot use dicamba over the top of their their crops, Mm -hmm. like, you know, Round, there was Roundup Ready. There's also Dicamba Ready. Oh, I didn't know mm-hmm. that. Yes, and but the federal courts have ruled you can't do it because of the possibility of drift. And right, and there is yeah. some possibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. but they're not the ones that should be making the decision. Gotcha. Because mm-hmm. here's a problem where you've got farmers who have already booked their Dicamba Ready seed. Yeah, yeah they've got their chemicals, and they're not going to be able to plant. Mm-hmm. I wonder if also it was a temperature thing because like. Like, you know, I'd read it comes up in a cloud and then it can take right. it to Te- temperature yeah. inversions are a real problem with mm-hmm. dicamba because, yeah. you know, you we always said, you know, don't use broadleaf weed killers when it gets over Above 85. 80, degrees. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. But under certain conditions, dicamba can vaporize at 70 degrees, mm. which is a real problem because yeah. so many places have night temperatures that high. <laughs> right. <Yeah>. You know, <laughs> right. You don't want this stuff turning into a gas and floating over to places where you don't want it yeah. to right. be. So you know, they are going to take the ca- dicamba it's, off? It's shut down. Federal courts have said. Farmers cannot uh. use it over the top. Okay, so mm-hmm. you know, That's in, hmm. one of the things that I have seen more and more of through the years is consequential damage in adjoining properties from mm-hmm. just lawn service companies. 
okay. right? You know, right. that are not applying it properly or under the wrong conditions. Exactly. So the neighbor uh, gets the the you, unbenefit. Right. And some, you know, and it's usually yeah. not enough to kill your plants, but it will. You'll see the disfigured foliage mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. Um, so it's it can be a real problem when applied improperly, and yeah. that's that's the real key thing. Is you know, if you're going to do a land, going to have a lawn service company, make sure you get a good. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know, so. like our one of well, good um, because dicambia isn't like a horror, you know, nobody's ever got any issues with that being bad for the environment, bad for people. So I was surprised at first when I had heard dicambia was going to be taken off, but then when I'd read about why they're thinking so, but then I'm like, well, this is a temperature thing, you know, or a misuse thing, yeah. Well, so. well, um, it'd be interesting to see how. You know, I'll try it just to mm-hmm. see, you know, how effective yeah, uh, the yeah, new active good. ingredients are. And then, of course, you mentioned decimate, which is, you know, mm-hmm. glucophate instead of glyphosate, mm-hmm. which is what's in Roundup. So there's a lot of different variables out there we can use. And then yeah. there's always the old organic, you know, the vinegar and mm-hmm. the sea salt times 10. Yeah. So, you know, still there will be products mm-hmm. out there that we can use to kill our weeds, there's right? There's something for all of us. Yeah. All right, we're going to go to a break. I'll get your gardening questions together. 260-5926. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. You listen to Veda, Kenneth, and Jim on the Mighty 990. You can give us a call, 901-260-5926. 901-260-5926. You can always shoot us a text on the Mighty 990 Facebook page, Mid-South Gardening. Real quick, uh, we might have Jamie Childers coming up briefly today to talk about uh, the Memphis Area Master Gardeners Presents. Yeah. We'll get into that. And also, you know, we still, uh, they're still part of that six-part series, mm-hmm. the talks at the um, what, the Bartlett Public Library. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they're on their fifth one today. <laughs> uh, let's see, guys. Here we go. It's a six-part uh, series of garden talks at the uh, Bartlett Public Library. Uh, which is at uh, 5884 Stage Road. Today, February the 10th, maintaining a flower bed with David Fuchs. So that'd be fun. Maintaining a flower bed? Yes. Yeah, that sounds like a good one, too. Like I've said, how many times it's easy to plant a flower bed? But maintaining, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, that was always my... I mean, one of the things that you do when you're designing or landscaping... As some people landscape it to make it look good the, that day, that six months through, but then they don't think about what this consumer has to go through far as the maintenance oh, yeah. and all, you know, because you can just throw stuff together and make it look good. Landscape tie walls or, or rock areas, you know, that can look really good for six months, but you really got to put some time <laughs> and thought to make it look good for longer. Yes, for you people. do. And that starts at, uh, that's 2 o'clock uh, at the Bartlett Public Library, guys, 5884 Stage Road. So that'd be fun. And then they got one more next weekend, February the 17th, Backyard Chickens, which I think yeah, is awesome. Yeah. And that's with uh, Joni Bailey. So a lot of good information out there coming up. Love Backyard Chickens. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh, just, okay, that's it. <laughs> and to me, the whole chicken thing, remember about three years ago, especially during COVID, man, everybody wanted a chicken in mm-hmm. their backyard. And they had these beautiful Taj Mahal chicken yeah. coops in their backyard. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just the old-fashioned, let's throw some boards together yeah. and create a lean-to for these chickens. Yeah, like the one when they built over when I was at the Botanic Gardens, they built one there. In it. I mean, it's got stained glass windows. I mean, <laughs> Thank you, Jim. <laughs> that sucker's nice. Oh. <laughs> See, I think that was more for the builder than for the chicken. <laughs> they wanted to do that. They want to look at that. Oh, my God. And then I knew um, 
this couple that lived out in North Memphis. Uh, they'd been there for a hundred years, and they had a good bit of property of the house they that, that they lived in. And they had the big chicken coop, you know, custom made, and they had all these chickens out there. Well, he even took it a step further. You know, they were in a chicken pen, right? Mm-hmm. A chicken coop, and they had the fence around it. Well, he had this big box made of just like chicken wire. It was mm-hmm. just and and it had uh, sleds on the bottom of it. So he'd get all the chickens in this box and he'd pull the box out to a part of his yard. Yeah. Well, they could peck and eat and all, you know, on that new on that new yeah. grass that, that they pulled the box over. Mm-hmm. The next day he'd pull it to a different place. And I'm yeah. like, my God, that's a full time job raising these. And then they were pets, of course. Mm-hmm. That that becomes the issue. You know, you buy the chickens to get the fresh eggs, which mm-hmm. is great. And for a number of years, that's good. But then at some point, they don't stop producing eggs. Yeah. And but that, that's when you're supposed to eat them. Okay. <laughs> but most people go. I can't eat that. That's my pet. So you end up with more chickens. (laughs) (laughs) So that'll be today at the Memphis Public Library, um, Memphis, uh, the Bartlett Public Library. We'll talk about backyard chickens. Mm -hmm. And it is a good thing to have, and kids can really get involved. I remember my granddaughter was like four or five, and she could just go in the... uh, chicken coop and just grab her up a chicken and walk around with it under her arm and all and and you know she just learned a lot about animals doing it that way but it's so cute to watch your your kids just love on animals and start learning how to and, take care and what i didn't realize there's a bunch of different types of chickens out there oh yeah i used to raise buffy silkies they were just yes. as cute made no noise you know see they were they, they were really cute they see were, what you just said they yeah. were they're beautiful you pick them up and they're just as friendly mm-hmm. as they could be it's just great and yeah. i had some silkies when i had the garden center mm-hmm. um we had silkies there they'd just walk around talk to the customers just personalities that's why you don't want to get rid of them those silkies and all have such personalities see that's why i don't think i would raise chickens honestly because you would like them when i was i think about 13 i started working on a chicken farm walk here every afternoon after school pick up eggs and i guarantee you those weren't pet chickens either were they no these were not we had hundreds and thousands Mm -hmm. of chickens Mm -hmm. and we go in and pick up the eggs you know and do that twice a day and feed the chickens and 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 all that and you know, it's, sometimes you reach into a box and there's a chicken in there is not real happy about you reaching into the chick in there. So oh. um, there's lots of cool things, you know, when you find, reach in there sometime and you find an egg that's not done yet. Ew. Oh, see, you know, yeah. it, it's soft, it, but it doesn't have the calcium sh- shell on it. Uh-huh. So it's really kind of weird. Ooh, you know? Like a pickled egg? It, it, sort of, yes. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I don't. Uh, I don't know how they taste those pickle eggs, but, but I kind of you know, got an idea. If how every child feel. was required to work for you know a summer on mm-hmm. a chicken farm, it would change their attitude about mm-hmm. work and life. Yeah. Well, but but I want people. I mean, people need to understand that honestly. I mean, you can do it for one or two reasons. You can definitely do it to just to do it and have friends, pets. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, that's yeah. what it turns into. You can do it, but you can also do it to harvest eggs, and a lot of people do that. But. You need to know what you're getting into before you do it, like any pet, of course. I, Those I said pet. Right, right, any pet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and that's why it's good for kids, too, because they learn the responsibility of having to feed them and make sure that they're <clears throat> sheltered and all of that. And what was so surprising to me on the silkies is how every night at the same time they all line up and go up to the chicken coop one by one and get in and I shut the door. You're kidding me. No. You don't have to run around and grab them with a net? No. Only one time we had to do that, and that was so funny. (laughs) We had everybody think, I don't remember what had happened. 
And they do really run around if once you cut their head off. I can tell you that from, from experience. So we definitely know where that saying came from. Oh, from experience? You can't, from experience. I don't have that oh, yeah. experience. Yeah, we, you know, well, if you whenever, like fried chicken. whenever the farmer was going to have chicken that night, you know, he let me do that. And, and and I was there when he slaughtered the first hog, and I had to go home. Yeah. I could, yeah. <laughs> I could not do that. <laughs> I turned into a wimp really uh, quick. I so think I went to Jim. The only ever experience with that is when I worked for a lady that owned horses and they had to get neutered. That's the word, gilded, I mm-hmm. think is what See, they call them. See, how did we get all, oh, oh, t- we were talking about chickens. <laughs> you know? Well, and all oh, started because, it, because we were talking about Kenneth's colonoscopy. <laughs> 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 yeah. I also, at some point this morning, guys, I was watching a video <clears throat> last night about, it was a guy that... Um, does landscaping in Nashville, okay, our sister city up there. And there's so much construction going on. All these houses are going up. And like you said, even here in Memphis to some extent, the houses are, you know, typically the the same size are, are getting bigger, but the lot that the houses own are getting smaller. Mm-hmm. So you've got to think about some of these slender, more upright specimens a lot mm-hmm. of because that's what they want in there they still might want a green wall or they might want you know something stuck in this corner where they don't have a lot of room right so i will talk about some of those things that they are using up there that we can surely surely use down here for smaller yards mm-hmm. yeah it's kind of things like that grow more up zero lot lines almost. exactly Veda. but now now the yards are kind of between like you said, they're going between the zero lot line and the full-fledged yard. Now they're coming into that in-the-middle size yard. Well, but I don't know. There's no places to put things. Driving, <laughs> yeah, well, you're right. Driving out of my neighborhood the other day, there was a plot of land there that didn't look big at all when mm-hmm. there was nothing on it. Yeah. So they bulldozed it, got it flat, put in the pipes and everything, and now they're putting houses on it. Mm-hmm. And guys, they're going to put like 50 homes on this thing. And these houses are probably eight foot apart. Yeah, you know, wow. I'm like, what are? I mean, how mm-hmm. does that even work? Yeah, and you know, to really me, close. even zero lot lines are further away than that. At least you got a little mm-hmm. room between the houses. So it'd be interesting, interesting to see the houses look great. By the way, don't get yeah. me wrong, they look great. They're kind of skinny houses, but they're very deep. Mm-hmm. Shotgun house? Well, yeah, but I want to know how they're <laughs> going to multi million dollar <laughs> shotgun. <laughs> exactly, Jim. But I want to know. I want to see how they're going to landscape these things. Oh uh, well, you know how they are. Well, they're I know just how they will. They're going to put a will. bunch of big stuff in there that they got to come back and prune every year, <laughs> or take out every two years. So it'd be interesting to see. I'll keep you updated mm-hmm. on how they're landscaping right. these houses that are sitting really right on top right. of one another. And that's yeah. what got me thinking about. Well, people do have that potential problem. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, hopefully, they'll think about in the landscape how to use your plants instead of just throw them in there you know like uh we're trying to start planting plants with purpose you know think about it if it you know what type of tree could you put there where it could shade over you know make an ali like where you could walk under um you know to have more protection or of course where's the north wind coming from and all that you know if they would plant like that that sure would be helpful of course um Everything's so big, but luckily, people, <clears throat> landscape designers and all, are becoming more educated with the new plants that are coming out that may be fitting a little better. And no <laughs> one thinks about, I don't think, when they're placing a tree, you need to think about where you're going to put the tree and the mm-hmm. type of tree you're going to put there. And I've talked about it a thousand times, that tulip poplar in my front yard. 
I had a guy come out last Saturday to clean my gutters, only because I didn't have a 30-foot ladder. Mm-hmm. And my wife said I wasn't going to climb up there if I did have one, okay? I had a guy come out to clean the gutters out that are way up there. Guess what was in that gutter more than anything? You know, Leaves? the well, the little worms. No, with that, thank you, Jim. <laughs> Other than the grit that comes off of a roof, uh-huh. the stuff that comes off of a tulip poplar. Oh, okay. And Wait, it had, and it had stuffed these gutters, stuffed oh, them on the man. front and the back of the house. The same stuff was in there. It had clogged them up. They were full. They were actually starting to just detach from uh-huh. the fascial board. And I'm thinking that's another reason I hate uh-huh. that dang tree so much. Right. And I so didn't even know that reason until yeah, Saturday. Until right now. I know we get stuck in the, because we need the trees just for the simple shade. Well, but there's some all. that are less messy than mm-hmm. others. So keep that in mind if you got beautiful gutters up there trying to get that water away from the, the house. Know, and that's a good point. People should really work with, if they're buying a new house particularly, work with that builder about what they're going to plant. You're paying for these plants for the next 30 years. You're right. A lot of them are not going to be be there, okay? So you want to plant properly, okay, instead of just, if it looks good, start asking questions because Mm -hmm. is it really what you need? I know. That's true. That's true. How many people have we helped that come in? And say, I'm replacing my entire landscape. You know, I bought the house and they put a little landscape in, but nothing is right. The soil is not right. Um, so then they're just redoing it. That's right. Or like my neighbor, remember I told you I walked in my backyard, looked over there, never seen that view before in my life. Everything was taken out of the landscape. That's not be weird. to be replaced, by the way. Nothing bizarre. but house, fence, and yard. That is That's bizarre. it. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back, gardeners. You're listening to Veda, Kenneth, and Jim on the Mid-South Gardening. So, now, what did you say, Kenneth? Well, say, first of all, if you want to give us a call, uh, 901-260-5926. And if you want to shoot us a text on the Mighty 990 Facebook page, Mid-South Gardening, uh, really easy to do. And also, if you miss all of this and want to ever listen to the podcast, what, kwamradio.com mm-hmm. or the Mighty 990.com, uh, yeah, you can find yeah. the, uh, the podcast. Uh, I had a gentleman come into the garden center the other day. He had purchased purchased a camellia uh, mm-hmm. for his wife and uh, got it planted and everything. And this is last year, okay? And he brought it in, and there were he, the the reason he brought a sample of the uh, camellia in was some of the leaves had burned. Okay, mm-hmm. you know how they just start turning yeah. brown, and that's not uncommon to see on evergreens depending on what kind of winter we have a lot of times it's just a yeah. classic burn from the weather well what he also didn't see was a lot of t-scale which is a scale insect that uh, really affect camellias on the underside of the leaf um so i was showing i was telling him about a, a burn just a typical burn on camellias and then when you flip the uh, leaf over you see all this t-scale up under it mm-hmm and I was like, well, this is really the problem. I mean, this is a problem that you need to take care of. The burn is not a big deal because a lot of times those old leaves would just fall off. The new growth comes out pretty and green and you're on your way, right? But I was like, you got to get rid of this scale. And then, you know, you got to look at it one, one or two ways. Yes. Is it, co- is it common to have T-scale on camellias? Yes. Mm-hmm. Are you going to have T-scale on a very, very healthy camellia? Maybe Probably. a smidge, right. but, but yeah. not really. Right. Yeah, but, but there's there was a, always a little. Right, Dana, but this was a lot of scale. So mm-hmm. not only do you want to 
kill the scale insects, but you also want to figure out why am I having such a bad problem with scale on this right. committee to start with. Right. So as far as taking care of the T-scale, you know, you can either spray a systemic insecticide like the acephate. You can use an oil spray, but you got to make sure you get under those leaves and really get to that T-scale. Or you can get the same tree and shrub drench, you know, that you use on the crepe myrtles on the uh, camellias also to kill the T-scale. So we, he actually got the drench, and he's not going to use it yet, but mm-hmm. he's going to use it later on. But we also talked about why he was having this problem. Well, these camellias, of course, are planted in full blazing baking sun, okay? It's not that they won't grow there. They will. But it's not where they really mm-hmm. want to be. So, you know, I said, if you're going to leave these camellias in this afternoon blazing sun, uh, put some mulch around them to help, you know, cool that root system down a little bit. Make sure they stay hydrated. Uh, feed them kind of through the growing season to keep them as strong and as healthy as you can. And, of course, keep your eyes peeled for this T-scale. But it was just, you know, kind of bad. It, it, it was just it, it all fit into place. When you start asking questions about why is he having such a problem with insects on this shrub, when, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. typically if they're healthy and they're in the right spot, you're not going to see that much scale. Right, right. So you knew that something was off. Something was when off. When you get the insect problem like that, then you start asking more and more and then you realize. And so basically it's not like dig it up and move it. It's just you kind of <clears> double your care to it, you know, or just, just pay attention to it a little more. Like the azaleas that you can grow in full sun, not the encores, but the other azaleas. Like you say, you can grow them in full sun, but you have to spray every year for the spider mites and maybe water more and fertilize more. So kind of like, why do it? Yeah, I mean, I'm with you, because there's so many other things you can plant that would do just fine Mm -hmm. in that same spot where this guy had this camellia planted. And Jim, I know you've grown a ton of camellias, Uh um, you know, and you still do, as a matter of fact. Still have some. You know, I lost a good many in the flash freeze two years or a year and a half ago. Oh, there are definitely any do's and don'ts that... Well, one thing that I found is, of course, proper placement, you know, the less stress it can have. You know, they like a few hours of sun, you know, preferably morning sun. Um, but even that can be an issue because the fall blooming sasanquas typically bloom when we have frost. And if it's showing any color when we have frost, you can, it'll blast that flower apart. So really, if you can plant them where they're not getting any early morning sun when first up, um, then that, that's, that's good. The, the spring bloomers, japonicas typically bloom, start blooming, some of them as early as mid-January. Right. So, you know, again, proper placement so that we're not getting a frost on it when it, you know, let it thaw naturally and you'll have less damage to that flower. Well, but in my case, though, if I've got afternoon sun on the front of my house, the only place I could plant it, it would either be the north or the east side. That would be preference, yes. <clears throat> but, you know, the north side is the best. And the reason we do that is because that ground is the coldest. Mm -hmm. It keeps that plant, the buds, from swelling till the very latest in the season. So the south side warms up first, you know, then the west, then the east, and then the north. So the the cooler the ground is, the later it's going to bloom in the season, and the better your chances are of having flowers. To keep that potential frost from just blasting that bud. Right. Uh, like it would on the potentially on the east side of the house. Mm-hmm. You Otherwise, know. you're going to have to do frost claw. Yeah, this this is a case again where Memphis is the the worst place to try to grow a lot of plants right. is because we're in that transition zone where we you know we our ground thaws and freezes and thaws and freezes <clears throat> and 
and so and we get frost in 90 degree temperatures and right frost, you know. right so it, it's very difficult for some plants like camellias hydrangeas this to have a good perfect season where you huh. get right. get the flowers that's true a good perfect season that's why we have some springs that are gorgeous right, with blooms right. and You're some while we don't well yeah. and even like two or three years ago i can't remember if it was two years ago or three years ago every hydrangea in memphis i'm not talking about the white blooming pendiculatas i'm talking about the old-fashioned mop heads every one of them in memphis were bloomed mm-hmm. every one mm-hmm. of them and it was a beautiful spring and summer blooms i mean everything just fell into place yeah. even the early blooming you know uh, deciduous magnolias you know mm-hmm. the blooms what knocked off of those but that hardly ever happens because of what Jim just said. You know, usually the weather messes with that yeah. to where you don't get that perfect bloom mm-hmm. on everything that you plant. You know, now wait another hundred years and we'll be in zone nine and then, you know, we won't have that problem anymore. <laughs> That's not going to help us, Mr. Jim. But zone. usually, think about it though. Usually, if you're having a problem, a, a perennial problem with a shrub in particular, or even a tree as far as that goes. It's not usually just the insect. Yeah, that's the problem, but there's usually underlying reasons why you're having that yeah. problem. Right. Whether it's in you know heavy clay, whether it doesn't drain the way it should. It's Poor getting, air movement. Thank you, Jim. Mm-hmm. Where you get a lot of mildew and stuff growing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, so you you got to think about those things also, mm-hmm. not just fix the problem. Right, right. Yeah. You know what? I'm still growing indoors is hookera. It's Great still, plant. I know it's still working indoors <laughs> right. beautifully. There's one variety that gets a little bit powdery mildew indoors, and it's the lighter color. I can't remember the name, but we've got they're just gorgeous. They're even growing mm-hmm. indoors. Now, you brought them inside just to protect them. Well, the funny thing is, yeah, <laughs> it was, but I had all the guys were supposed to put everything up, and it was on the back porch. And the, one of the guys said, can I just bring them right here and decorate around this fountain with them? Right. And I was like, okay, yeah. You know, he wanted to do something. I'm like, sure. And that was um, in January. When did we have our cold? Yeah, right before. And they're still in there looking beautiful because I told him now in about a week we need to take them out. But they didn't. And we kept watching and watching and they're growing and looking good. So I'm like, okay, now is this an indoor plant too? Huh. I think it could be. Uh, usually a lot of times we try to bring things from outside to inside. Mm-hmm. For example, like heuchera that you're talking about because it has beautiful foliage on it. And, you know, most plants would do fine for a while. Mm-hmm. You know, it wouldn't live. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and in fact, I swear oh. to God, true story. I never will forget it. Went to a lady's house. This is 30 years ago, 25 years ago. And walked in her um, kind of a living room slash sunroom. Okay. It was, a, it was a really neat kind of condo, uh, but they got a lot of good natural light in there. And she had the prettiest weeping yopon growing in a container mm-hmm. in her house. And I just stopped and looked, and uh-huh. I'm like, it's a freaking weeping yopon. Right, right. You know, that thing's not supposed to be in here. Uh-huh. And I don't know how long it had been in there, but and maybe, you know, it's one of those things where a lot of people, if it looks good, they'll put it in a pot, mm-hmm. set it where they want to inside the house. If it starts looking bad, Jim, they'll just get rid of it and get yeah. something else. Right. But it was a weeping yopon. Mm-hmm. But she had the same idea that you did, Veda, bringing things that typically you don't see indoors, bringing them things indoors yeah. and enjoying it. Right. A lot of these plants need a period of dormancy. And even <clears throat> though you cannot let them have it for a while, they will live. But eventually they start going backwards. At, I know. agree. So there is that period of time that you need to let them have a dormancy if that's what they 
they mm. normally would go through. Mm. You think about houseplants, for example. Right. Well, a lot of times you don't feed houseplants through the winter months. It's not that they're dormant in the sense that they have no leaves and they're not yeah. growing at all, but they're in a, a slowdown period. Right. right. And you right. don't want to force a lot of growth, you know, this time of year right. on your houseplants. Happen, that happens in nature where they have, you know, the rainy season versus the drier season, even in the tropics where you've got lots of tropical looking stuff, plants growing up trees, you know, and bromeliads and orchids and all that kind of stuff. But they have periods of dry, which is critical for their survival. So, yeah. All right, y'all, we're going to go to a break. Give us a call, 901-260-5926. And welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. We appreciate you joining this morning. We've got a couple more hours of fun and games around here. So, you know. <laughs> if you want to give us a call, 901-260-5926. And, of course, you can go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page, Mid-South Gardening, and shoot us a text like Linda uh, Sweat Sweet, Linda Fisher. She said, how fortunate that I chose the north side, Jim. So when we're talking about planting camellias a while ago, you're saying that, you know, out of all the – if you have a lot of sun, like typical mm-hmm. landscapes do, morning sun in the east, you know, western sun, in, uh, east uh, afternoon sun in the west, unless you've got a lot of shade, she did put hers on the north side. Mm-hmm. So you're saying good move. That's a good move. You know, and even if you put, I had a lot of my sasanquas on the east side of the house, but I have two very large oak trees right. there. And so it keeps it cooler during the season. Mm-hmm. But also, even when they have no leaves on them, they're casting a substantial amount of shade and the ground mm-hmm. is always cooler underneath there. And you can tell that because even under the deciduous trees, you don't get as near the frost that you do right. on, out in the open. So that blows my mind. That's a good mm-hmm. place to put them, you know. Yeah. I had good flowers most every year, except mm-hmm. when we had the December, you know, the yeah. late bloomers got zapped. And it, well, How in fact, sun? most of the plants oh. got zapped. Yeah, right. Yeah. How did like the sun? Was it like morning sun, afternoon sun? Wait, you were it was on the east side. Well, east side. The east side. Yeah. Now my japonicas were mostly on the west and the north side. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they got very little some, um, very little sun at all direct, and they still bloomed and, really. And good. they did really well. Yeah, they uh, they're shaded by trees during mm-hmm. when, during the peak of the summer, and the house during the winter time. So yeah. there's very very little sun in there so the ground is much cooler than it mm-hmm. would have been on any other side of yeah. the house so i was wondering really how much shade could they take and still get a lot of blooms well so pretty good yeah amount. that's that's the issue mm-hmm. if you you can put them in really deep shade but your bloom production goes down mm-hmm. fairly substantially they'll look yeah. great right yeah so the ones that were right next to the house you yeah. know on the north side that almost never got any sun whatsoever mm-hmm. those would have some flowers but they weren't spectacular but to hit, you know just 12 feet away mm-hmm. on the up against the fence they would be loaded down yeah. with buds so and of course and that's just true with any plant really the more mm-hmm. sun the better it blooms unless of course it doesn't like any sun mm-hmm. yeah that most beautiful one i've seen was on the north side of a house mm-hmm. Oh, my word. I wish I could even remember the name, but I've never seen a camellia have so many blooms. It was a pink one, kind of almost a pyramidal shape, about eight feet, big green, glossy leaves. And I'm with Jim. I've seen them really in beautiful bloom on most sides of the house, of houses, uh, whether it's north, east, south, or west. But it all depends, like you said, on how... You know how your landscape is designed. So if you got the shades, you're fine. So Jim's, we're doing 
get Jim's given the advice on the mid south <laughs> to in terms of because our weather fluctuates right. then well, the more detailed information we're given is because the weather fluctuates because well, yeah you can plant them anywhere but also he's talking about yeah. like the frost also you put yeah. them on the east side of the house you're going to get that morning frost on there then the sun's going to come up the sun's the mm-hmm. first thing that's going to hit that frost that's on that bud and that's what can shatter the bud but in jim's case if you've got some trees and big shrubs you know around your home really doesn't matter where you put them. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Many, many years ago, um, when I worked at PNS Garden Center, we went down to Flowerwood Nursery to just cruise the nursery and mm-hmm. take a look at some stuff. And when we were passing by, we could see a few Sasanqua camellias blooming up in some really dense uh, pine-free mm-hmm. area. And so John Pierce, who, who was with us, said, can, can I take a look at those? And went over there. And there was probably 30 or 40 Sasanqua camellias, some of them 15 feet tall, that had just a little bit of foliage here and there. Uh-huh. I mean, they were sparse because they were in such deep shade. <laughs> wow. And he said, I'll take them all. You're kidding. And That's the did. ones he wanted. Yeah. And, of course, these were in three-gallon paint um, pots. And when they pulled them up, they had roots six feet wide, you know, hanging out the pot. But we trimmed them yep. back. We took some and espaliered them, on, on like, particularly on houses that had white brick. And espaliered some of those on there, and they ended up being spectacular. Really? Isn't that crazy? That's yeah. fun. Yeah. See, it's all in the eye and it was of all, you know, Most yeah. people would not, you know, if, if I were going to a nursery and seeing this thing, you know, uneducated, I thought, God, uh-uh. that's an ugly plant. Yeah. 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 All right, let me ask you one more question on camellias, if you don't mind. You know, there are the hybrids, there's the sasanquas, and then there's, of course, japonicas. Um, Jim, if you were going to pick just one classification or one class, is there one that you would pick, or is it you kind of like them all? If you, as long as you know what you're doing. Well, I like them all. You know, the nice thing about the Japonica is you get these huge flowers, right? Okay, and that's they're spectacular. Sasanquas are going to give you a mass of color, smaller, okay? smaller, blooms. smaller blooms, but a mass of color. So it kind of depends on what you're doing. You know, if you're planting it away from the house where. The size of the flower is really not going to matter. You want to see color. The sasanquas are probably your best bet. And they're going to be hardier, okay? Yeah. The vast majority mm-hmm. of sasanquas <clears throat> are zone 7 hardy, some of them up to zone 6, and a few up to zone 5. Yeah. Uh, so they're, they're good choices for the Mid-South. When you get to the japonicas, the vast majority of those are Blood. below 7. Mm-hmm. Most of the old ones are 8. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you have a few now that are zone 6 hardy. Uh, that are hybrids, but but they're not quite as winter they're hardy. They're not quite as winter hardy, uh, and and you're also because of the bloom time, you're a little more likely to lose the flower to frost because it's more of a spring bloomer. And that's right. when you get all that crazy up right. and down weather. Because mm-hmm. you get some like you know, <clears throat> one of my favorites is a variegated red and white called Dicagora. It starts. I've seen it start blooming right after Christmas. Wow, you know, and so it a lot of years you didn't get good flowers off of it. Mm-hmm. You know. You know, I was lucky enough, John Pierce had a camellia house, and that was, to Slat me, house. I would have one of those if I had space, I tell you, because you get those beautiful camellia blooms, and we would jib them, you know, it's where you take, and you've got a flower bud and a growth bud right together, and you pop the growth bud out and put one drop of gibberellic acid in there, and it doubles the, the size of your flower, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's just you, these huge things that are 10 inches across. It's what, just spectacular. What about the hybrids, like the winter stars and those, Jim, that they are, they are, they're not Sasanquas, really, they're not Japonicas, they yeah. are a type of hybrid. Right. 
and, and they're good for this area, okay? But again, even those, some of those even bloom as late as April. Gotcha. You know, the, the April series, April Tris, right. April Kiss. April those, Promise. Those are very late bloomers. So your chances of them succeeding and, and flowering are very, very good. Mm-hmm. So. And we have some that are in bloom right now. <coughs> we had to bring one inside. It was so beautiful. We couldn't stop going outside to look at it. So we brought it in and put it by the register. Okay, so of course it's going to go out in a few days. But right now, just to have that color is incredible. Mm -hmm. Of course, we didn't have them sitting out in the snow or anything. They did come in the building just to be protected. Or those buds would have been blown out, I'm sure. But, man, you just got to have a camellia in your yard because and what the is it? foliage is nice, too. I mean, mm-hmm. definitely the further south you go, the more camellias you're going to see, mm-hmm. uh, typically speaking. Right. And we're like on that, you know, there again, we're in that transition period that Mr. Yeah. Paul used to always say, the black hole of horticulture, mm-hmm. right? Where if you can grow it here, you can grow it anywhere. But our temperatures, they are really so unpredictable. I mean, look at today, what, 68 degrees today? Mm-hmm. And I guarantee you by the end of the month, you know, we'll be down in the... 20s again yeah. in about 10 days you're yeah. going to have lows in the 30s again so you know it's yeah. coming but it's not i don't see anything bitter that's that's right the real good that's thing. the word that's right. the thing we're just, that's just going to kind of be a normal winter thing not a bitter cold freeze that again the distilliums i'm so confused on what to do about those yeah the ones that i have seen that were snow covered the bottom six inches look mm-hmm. good okay yeah. but the tips have been burnt now, what you don't know is how late in the season did they trim them? Yes. You know, mm-hmm. If that was real tender growth that came out late in the season, that would have burned a lot of years. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the snow seems to have protected the base of it, and that's so. I think they're going to recover just fine. Um, but you, 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 we have to start asking ourselves if this continues right. over a couple of years: is distillium really yeah. a good choice and for which, Memphis? And which varieties? are doing it i mean i just see mostly linebacker and the jade i think have the damage that when you're walking from one of our stores down the hill to the other store this new business um planted a row of distilliums and they're right on the street and i keep scratching them every time i walk by they're probably wondering why is this lady scratching the shrubs every time she walks up and (laughs) down are they brown or are they green they're green Mm -hmm. they are green so i'm just hoping they're going to recover but i don't see any little new buds coming out it's really kind of early for that anyway i tell you it's one of those plants that i mean i love them there's so many different varieties but it kind of reminds me of what's happening to the indian hawthorn so we have to Mm -hmm. take a note we'll have to look at them really close see what goes on we just don't know all right y'all hang on we've got two more hours to go we've enjoyed the first hour you're listening to beta kenneth and jim on the mighty 990 the garden help you need now mid-south gardening on the mighty 990 powered by palladio home and garden with your host beta vance kenneth mabry and jim crowder Good morning, gardeners, and welcome to Mid South Gardening. We're glad y'all can join us today. You want to give us a, yeah, a call ahead. this morning, 901 260 5926. 901 260 5926. And you can also shoot us a text on the Mighty 990 Facebook page, Mid South Gardening. All right. What we're going to do is go to Philip. Good morning, Philip. He's calling from Germantown. You're in the Mid South Garden. Hey, good morning. Hey, Philip. Good morning to you, buddy. I have a fire glow Japanese maple, beautiful tree that I planted probably three years ago, way too close to my house. You're, and I, now 
if you say that one time. So you're reading my mind. I've got notes about that for today, Philip. So go ahead. Yeah, and I'm I'm planning on transplanting it maybe next week if the weather permits. And I just wanted some general tips on, you know, maybe root ball size, mm-hmm. depth of the root ball. It's going to go where an old uh, azalea um, is at. I'm going to dig that up and put it there. Not too far from where it's at right mm-hmm. now, but just any tips you can give me and uh, <clears throat> any sort of products or fertilizer, right. fertilizers or yeah. um, well, I would go ahead stimulators. I would yeah. go ahead now and actually cut out the root ball of where, and then not move it, but go ahead and cut the root ball like with your shovel like and a, just like let a it, root prune yeah, just go straight down around right with your sharpshooter possibly. Yeah. And the root ball, you want to get as much as you can, but at the same time, if you get too much, it's too hard to move. And usually yeah. the roots are going out to the drip line, but that's just too big of a root ball. So how much out would, it depends on how big your tree is. Yeah, so you want to, but there you, again, you still want to get as much of that root ball as you mm-hmm. possibly can, knowing that you can't get it all. Yeah, right. And Veda said, go ahead and get a shovel or a sharpshooter now. Mm-hmm. Well, not today because it's so wet out there. Yeah. I guess you could. But it make it easier. <laughs> but just kind of just go down around um, and make a root ball. But you're taking that blade and going just straight down. You're not actually digging the tree up just yeah. yet. And you might even hit a big feeder root, too. I always take a okay. sawzall so I can just cut clean through it instead of trying to chop it with a shovel. And the biggest thing with Japanese maples, as we all know, is, you know, they got to have good drainage. And, and you don't want to plant it any deeper than it is now. But where you plant it, the new hole, typically is going to be just as deep and twice as wide. Right. Uh, and then amend that soil. And I would always plant high, Philip. Mm-hmm. I would actually have the root ball above grade, an inch or two yeah. above what it used to be. Right, so you're going to kind okay. of dig a little cup out, basically, chop the hole up so it's not slick sides. And then you're just going to take the whole root ball and everything and set it down into the, it's not deep cup, but set it down into the cup and then you'll mound your soil up over that and then you mentioned you know a root stimulator a while ago i would definitely get a root stimulator uh whether it's super thrive whether it's like root stimulator uh there's root drench there's quite a few of them on the market but i would make a solution of that product and i would saturate those roots once a week for a month now mm-hmm. and then you could even come back in you know late spring early summer and do it again but i would most definitely use a root stimulator initially yeah. and you know, a lot of people's recommended pruning while you're transplanting so you can make up for the difference of damaging the roots when you're moving it, you know, and it doesn't have so many roots to be able to supply the top. But I always transplant and then wait right. and see which of the limbs are maybe not going to come out and then prune from there. But, Got it. Yeah. And that is a beautiful maple. And I'm telling you. Philip, doing it, you know, early this this time of year, you know, weather permitting, and you don't want to use it, you don't want to dig it up across, of course, if the ground is sloppy wet, and you don't yeah. want to replant it either if the ground is sloppy wet, and I know you'll wait till it gets a little drier than it is now, but this is a perfect time of year to get that thing dug up and moved, and it really shouldn't skip a beat, to yeah, be honest with right. you. Right, yeah, and Good. then, of course, you said azaleas were there, and so you removed, were they old azaleas that you removed? Very old, a huge azalea yeah. that mm-hmm. the um, that uh, last uh, freeze just destroyed them. Yeah, yeah. right. Well, <clears throat> check and make sure because a lot of times there can be air pockets. Now, when you remove things where it's pulling roots and out, 
you want to make sure there's no air pockets in all of that area because if there are and you plant your tree and the soil starts going down to the air pockets or even the plant, then then you can have some problems that way too. And the last thing, Philip, is you know the first summer is always the most critical. When it starts to get really hot and dry, and it will, as we all know, uh, just make sure you keep this thing hydrated. I'm not saying going out there with a hose and water this thing every day. I'm just saying water it really well, water it deep when you do plant but make sure that first summer is always the most critical uh, on these trees that we're planting this time of year. Definitely. Well, well I need to, after I plant it and transplant it, yes. do I need to just soak it Yes. You know, the first time and then every other day after that or just give it a good soak and just no. regularly water it after that? Well, you're right. I mean, you want to soak it well when you plant it, no doubt about it. And like Veda mentioned, air pockets, that will help flush all that air out of those um, the pockets of, in the soil. So you water it in well after you plant. And this is where people, just like you just said, Phil, this is where people get into trouble. They go out there and kill that tree with tender love and care with a water hose in their hand, mm-hmm. okay? The best way to water these maples is to really soak them well when you do water. But, man, you let that thing air out before you come back and water again, especially this early in the year. You won't have to water it probably more than once a week. Right, right. Yeah, because that's one of the great things about transplanting now is sometimes you don't have to supplement water because it's cool enough and rainy enough cloudy enough that it's not going to have an issue but you just have to be aware if our weather changes right um you know how you have that week all of a sudden it's warm you never want to water a tree like that every day (laughs) no sir you want to keep it moist but you don't want to keep it wet and like i said the best way to water is to water deeply but water somewhat infrequently got it got it well i appreciate that i'm going to try to hopefully i can tackle it next week when it clears up a little bit not a problem at all philip you'll get it done Thank you all. Y'all have a good day. You Thank too, you. buddy. Thanks for the call, Philip. Fantastic. Good question. Yeah, and we're lucky enough to have Miss Jan Dickey up here with us this morning, Miss Veda, uh, with the Memphis Area Master Gardeners. And I apologize, Jan, we had to take that call, and you only got like two minutes before we go to a break. But, um, Jan, before we even get into what you're going to talk about, I want to know a little bit about you and your position and what you're doing with the Memphis Area Master Gardeners. My position is wonderful this year because I'm past president. So I sit back <laughs> with my crown and my scepter and just just enjoy what everybody else is doing. And what's your much. position now? I mean, because you are the past president, like I'm you the, said. I'm a past president, so I'm on the board of uh, the membership board. Love it. And uh, I am chairperson of Master Gardener Presents. So, and my yard's going to be on the TOG tour this year. Uh. So, uh, Work ahead. Nothing but it's tog, be great. What's tog to tog, uh, through our garden gates? I thought so, but I thought right. That's the first time I've heard it called tog tour. Oh, it's yeah, kind of cute. Yeah, <laughs> through our garden gates. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's nothing uh, like a deadline, as you know. So uh, once you get on and you know that you're going to be a, you know, you're going to showcase your property correct. for all these people that can go to these different properties and take a look later on this summer. There's nothing like a deadline, as we know, Miss mm-hmm. Veda. And that place will never look as good as it will this summer. I promise you. Right. I hope so. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, but it's a good. De- it's it's really it's going to be fun. It's already been a great learning experience because I'm in a new place. Hmm. And last year was actually the first year for my garden, but I chose to go to Alaska, so <laughs> I don't even know what's going to bloom. It'll be fun. It'll Alaska. be Alaska. 
Oh, I yeah. want to go there. Oh, it was How wonderful. was the gardening there? It was good. I got a lot of pictures, <laughs> yeah. uh, a lot of plants. I had no idea what they were. Right, so, right. <laughs> um, but it was fun. It was nice. Well, I know we got to go to a break, Ms. Veda and Jan. Uh, when we get back, we're definitely going to talk about Jan, and she's going to talk about the Memphis Area Master Gardeners Presents. And that's a really big deal when it comes to the Memphis Area Master Gardeners because it's also a fundraising thing, isn't it? No. there's uh, no. Actually, it, it cost us to put this on. We do charge a small fee, but that goes to whichever uh, property we have the presentation at. In lieu, they let us do that instead of paying rent for the room. Right. And then any money that's left over always goes to education. Right. Which I love. Right. All right, we're going to head to a break. Y'all hang on because we've got great information. You're listening to Veda, Kenneth, and Jim on the Mighty 990. Good morning and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Well, I have never heard a group of people get so quiet instantly. (laughs) That's what makes it so much fun, Miss Veda. There's so much talking in here. We've got a lot of people... And everybody's just talking away, and then you see Philip doing his hand. Everybody's quiet. The producer's like waving his arm up like yeah. it's time, and everybody just zip. So what are we doing? We're going to talk to Miss mm-hmm. Jan Dickey. Jan, thank you for being here this morning, the past president of the Memphis Area Master Gardeners. And she's here this morning with some friends, Jamie and Jan. We appreciate y'all coming up also. Uh, but big fans of the Memphis Area Master Gardeners. But one thing in particular that's coming up is the Memphis Area Master Gardeners Presents. Right. And Jan, so what is that? It is one of our public outreach programs. It's one of the few times a year that the public is allowed to come in. We actually want you to come in so that uh, we can share some expert knowledge. We have speakers. Every year we choose speakers based on a pertinent topic. And uh We'll have two this year. Mm-hmm. They each speak for an hour. And then we have our own Dr. Chris Cooper, who will uh, lead a question and answer session for the audience. And this year, we've got an even more fun because one of our speakers owns a nursery in mm-hmm. Jemison, Alabama, right outside of Birmingham. And he's bringing plants for sale. Mm-hmm. And that's Jason Powell? That's Jason Powell who is, if you've ever heard him or seen him, there were people that have come up to me that goes, Jason, he was here 20 years ago. Good. Oh, he's back. Yeah. So, yeah, he has that kind of a presence. But uh, he will be bringing plants that he's talking about. And if you ever have been to his nursery, it it's exciting in and of itself. They do nursery or garden rooms. Mm-hmm. They put plants in like you would do them in your own yard so you mm-hmm. can see how they'll mm-hmm. grow. They do education every weekend. There's some type of education going on at his nursery. Mm. It's just a phenomenal mm-hmm. place. And, his, and uh, I think his speech is called Petals from the Past, which that, I think is going to be pretty cool. Yeah, that's the name of his nursery. Oh. Yeah, he's doing Survivors in the Garden. You know, we've had two pretty rough years, particularly the, the deep freeze we experienced, and now we're out far enough. We know some things may still be dying. We're not sure mm-hmm. You know exactly right. what's going to happen in the long run, but he's got some some proven plants that mm-hmm. will make it here. That <laughs> yeah. that will get my attention yeah, big absolutely. time. Absolutely, and then he'll have them for sale. And you then know. you also have another speaker at this it's, event. It's Jared Barnes. He's a professor 
at Stephen Austin University mm-hmm. in uh, Nacogdoches, Texas. Mm-hmm. He has a website. He's got a podcast. He's got a newsletter. Mm-hmm. Uh, a very proficient speaker. He's been around the country, around the world, actually. I think he's been in about 18 different countries speaking and learning. He's an absolute delight. So How if you have a chance to listen to his podcast or anything mm-hmm. prior to, you'll see what we're talking about. I was going to say, y'all got a lot of pull to get these speakers like you're getting in here, in here. We uh, try. Good we Lord. Try. And that was, uh, I think his talk is Perennials with a Southern Flair. Correct. And, you know, mm-hmm. Veda, that's what I keep saying. Um, well, both of these gentlemen right. I want to go see, but and both of the topics are going to be great. Uh, you know, Perennials with a Southern Flair. Well, we're in the South. We love our Perennials. And then, like you said, uh, Jason's going to talk about su- survivors in the garden. Well, we all need to know that is mm-hmm. that, you know what's happening the last two or three or four years right. with our winners. So, where's well, the thing? One thing's about su- survivor in the garden. It's like after we had all that snow and everything, the freezes freezes, and I said, whatever you want, <clears throat> you want to plant something, go around <laughs> and see what survived now. But the thing is, it's not all the fun stuff that survived. <laughs> well, right. we're always going to experiment, but I still right. want to know the tried and true. You know, really want, yeah. yeah. And Jen, so those um, are great, great topics. That's yeah. y'all. Congratulations well, on that. Thank you, yeah. thank you. We're excited. Uh, we have moved our venue this year. Mm-hmm. For those that have come in the past, uh, we are going to be at Lichterman Nature Center. Yeah, I noticed that. And the established hours are nine to twelve. However, we have it as long as we need to, so the plant sale will go on. Notice she said the established time, yeah. Yeah. 9 to 12, but it might be 9 to 2 before right. this thing. You plant got it. sale will go on. That's and of right. course, the Lichterman Nature Center is at 5992 mm. Quince Road. Now, is there, and there's only like a $10 or $12 admission fee. I mean, it's nothing. Right. And then, is there anything, are we supposed to bring a canned good or canned goods or anything? Absolutely. Uh, we always try to collect canned goods for the needy, and uh, I'd like to mention normally we take our canned goods to the Collierville Food Bank, and that doesn't mean the food stays in Collierville. It goes mm-hmm. to those in need that come. They have cards. They come in once a week a- and collect their food, but it's just uh, an organization that we've become familiar with. We know what they need. We know how to collect it, and mm-hmm. so it, it, it's and a good match. And you know they do it. You know oh, they absolutely. actually, yeah. Absolutely. Right. You're talking so. about a win-win situation. Mm-hmm. I mean, right. yeah, and like I said, it, it goes to the Carrieville Food Bank. They fill that thing up, and like Jan just said, it doesn't necessarily have to stay there. It can go out to these different points of people that really need it. Correct. And how easy and how simple is it to, for me to take a, a, bo- a little box of canned goods up mm-hmm. there uh, give them my $12 and sit there and have a great time and get some really good information. Absolutely. And, and we are having door prizes. So, mm-hmm. and hopefully, <clears throat> uh, I haven't shorn it up with, with Jason yet, but hopefully, some of the door prizes will be the plants he's talking about. So. Mm-hmm. And that, once again, you guys, write this one down. It's coming up February the 17th. <clears throat> and I'm assuming that's a Saturday? Yes. Okay. Next Saturday. Next Saturday, right. 17th. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's good to know. And then with the Memphis Area Master Gardeners, and I think this thing is getting bigger and better every year with good leadership like you've had and you've performed there, Miss Jan. Uh, What are the other things that we need to know about the other events? I mean, this is the first, and this is a big one, and this is the one that I really want to go to. But I know there are other events that y'all put on during the summer, I guess. Mm -hmm. Right. The next one will be in March. I believe it's the 22nd and 23rd. It's a Friday and Saturday. 
Uh, and that is our annual spring fling, which is out at the Agri Center in the Big Red Barn. We'll have vendors, plant sales, speakers, uh, children's tents. Oh, yeah. uh, usually we've got butterflies and plantings and uh, food trucks. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's a take care of everybody weekend. A lot yeah. of fun. A lot yeah, of the spring sale books is nice because there's just so many different things Correct. going on there right. and speakers and things and such. Right. So, yeah, we have a recycle right booth which has little, you know, the uh, tree donuts and different things oh. uh, to really get the kids and everybody involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am going to be a speaker this year. The that topic is, is going to be is fifty years of digging up the dirt on soil. So come, come listen. Yes, I Jim. Like okay, I didn't know that. I'm so yep. glad to hear he's getting back into speaking mm-hmm. again. And that's spring thing, and we know how big that is with all the events that are going on, all the things that happen there. And Mr. Jim, our own Mr. Jim, going to be one of the spokespeople there. And then there's another thing that comes up in the summertime, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's a through our garden gates we alluded the, to earlier. Yeah. And there are five gardens this year. They're co- they concentrate on one area of town. This year it's going to be Collierville. So included in, with my yard and four other yards. And then they're also going to showcase the Collierville Victory Garden, mm, which nice. if you haven't seen that, it's a phenomenal garden. And it's crazy that I've never seen I it. I haven't either, but I watch it. it on Facebook, and they're phenomenal. Right. That's right. Good you word. Can, yeah, yeah, you can look them up on Facebook. Mm-hmm. They've got their own page, and yeah. they do great things. And all the food is donated around town to different organizations. And then they grow flowers as well that are donated to the Paige Robbins Alzheimer's Center and other places. Good so Lord. So they do great work. Still great a work. win-win situation Absolutely. for everyone. Do they take volunteers at the Victory they Garden? They do, other than it's uh, primarily run by Master Gardeners, but anyone is welcome to come out and work. Mm-hmm. And if you look on their Facebook page, they do post the times and the dates that they are working. So, All right. So I know we only got a couple of minutes. So the first thing is going to be the Memphis Area Master Gardeners present. And that's even this coming, not this weekend, not today, but a week from today. Correct. Uh, at the Lichterman Nature Center. And like you said, Jan, that's from 9 o'clock until at least 12. It could even go beyond that. And those two wonderful speakers. And then the next thing is spring fling. And you know how much fun that is. Mm -hmm. And every time I hear the word spring fling, I think about Mr. Paul in the Red Barn. They said y'all put him in the coldest place in there. (laughs) And everybody's, you know, huddling around this, this, what, 50 gallon drum with wood and a fire going. And they're huddling around there. And they're not worried about selling any plants, Jim. They're just trying to stay warm. (laughs) And I just, I start cracking up every time I hear the word Mm -hmm. spring fling. Now, I don't think it's quite as bad as he said it was, Jen. Oh, I stood there. Oh, yeah, I worked, with, I worked with Paul and his We're booth. agreeing oh, on yeah. this one, yeah. There's a wonderful breeze. If you, you get the two doors on each side uh-huh. of the building open, it's... Now, in the summertime, absolutely. you want that breeze. Yeah, well, absolutely. You know, so. March is a little... But spring, Ooh, it is, isn't it? Mm. But spring fling, that'd be so much fun. But and we it, can always predict the weather. Mm. Whatever weekend spring fling is on, it'll be rainy or it'll be cold or... Bizarre weather. Yeah, I don't care when you have it. It's going to be chilly out there. Because it's indoors, you know, mm-hmm. and you might have to run outdoors to go to this tent or over there. Right. But. Well, this year's a little different because the Red Barn now has year-round vendors. Mm-hmm. Oh. So a lot more will be outdoors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now we're putting up tents and things yeah. where we can. But yeah. yeah. Well, that, at least you'll have a yeah. tent. <laughs> and we're having some... 
demonstration tents this year, which mm-hmm. we've not had before. Yeah. So it'll be great. We hope to have some cooking tents, you know, cooking mm-hmm. with herbs, that kind of stuff. And That's a lot of fun. And then yeah. the last event is through our garden gates, which right. is more of a summertime event. And that's where you said there will be homes in Collierville this year mm-hmm. that the public can go and take a look and get some wonderful ideas of what y'all have done in your landscape. And if I want to see something, like I know what a small plant looks like. I want to know what that plant looks like five years mm-hmm. down the road. And so you get a chance to kind of get an idea of what you can take back and incorporate in your own landscape. Correct. And then we have one more event after TOG, and that is the Great Tomato Contest. Mm-hmm. We can't forget that one. Oh, no. Y'all have been doing a lot of awesome <laughs> stuff. We're going to take a break. Y'all hang on because we've got more um, gardening advice. <laughs> Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Garden. We're up here with Jan from the uh, Master Gardeners, learning what's going on in their neck of the woods because it's beneficial for all of us. Yes, it is. And Jan, thank you, for first of all, for being here. And your wonderful cohorts here, Jamie and, and Jan Childers, you know, great people. Uh, but they're great people in the Memphis Area Master Gardener program also. So we'll do a brief uh if you would outline of what we just said in the last 15 minutes, what's coming up, but also if someone is interested, they're listening and they want to become a Memphis area master gardener. Okay. You know, how do I do it? All right. It's very, well, I say it's simple. It's not as simple as it sounds. If you're interested in becoming a Memphis area master gardener, first you fill out an application. Applications come out around the 1st of June. And you need to really be cognizant of that because they're cut off quite early Sorry, by the Jan, end of but July. Jim's over here just, okay, I, we got to start over. Okay. No. okay. Uh, <laughs> first he of, can't get that it, open, and I can't not watch. Jan always brings goodies up here, and I've been fighting this thing trying to get into it. There's <laughs> some king cakes in here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I've distracted our speakers. I apologize for that. <laughs> It's okay. They're on a sugar rush, too, right. so we'll so, be fine. So, Jan, you, so an application, you said they come out in the 1st of June. Uh-huh. Right, where, where do All I get an application? All the libraries have it. One thing I failed to mention is Memphis Area Master Gardeners has a public website, mm. and we'd love for everybody to peruse that. It gives all of our events. It gives what's happening around town, maybe not with us, but other garden clubs and things, uh, and it will have the application as well. It'll tell you when it comes out, and mm. you can download it from the website, um, mm. print it off. Uh, drop it by or mail it into the Master Gardener office, which is in the Ag Center. Yeah. Um, and it's and nothing to it. It's not anything no. that you should be afraid of. I mean, you <laughs> no, just feel this thing out. absolutely not. We are looking for people who want to serve the community right. and do it through horticulture, which is, which is our mission and our goal. Mm-hmm. And uh, once we shut the application off, then we go through an interview process and I think we've got about 40 master gardeners at interview. You, typically, we have 80 to 100 applicants mm-hmm. for a class that ranges in the 40s. Right. So not everybody gets in. And it's nothing personal. Don't get me uh, wrong. No. Y'all don't pick yeah. and choose. I had and somebody is, say, right. I was like, no, that's well, not how I, that I works. Can, I can tell you uh, from my experience, because I am one of the interviewers, 
and I had a lady who tried out two years ago. Sure. She didn't make it. She came back this year, applied again, and she's in the class. She's one of our best students. Isn't that amazing? So please don't don't <clears throat> ever take it personal because we only have a one hour interview with these people and a one page sheet of paper. Right. To pick and choose. Yeah. So sometimes we do well. Sometimes we miss a few. I yeah. get you, but and even though please you're, come back, even if you're turned again. down, like you said, Jan, you can always come back every Absolutely. year and refile. So Absolutely, and that shows us if you do that, that shows us your determination and the fact mm-hmm. that you really want to do it. So All right, so it you, goes a long ways. So get the application in sometime in June. Get on the Memphis Area Master Gardener Well page, like you said. Or you can go to any public library and pick one of these up, right. fill it out, send it in, and then y'all go through the interview process. And then what's after that? Well, after the interview process, Dr. Cooper actually makes the final selection for the class. Uh, they are chosen. We come in and have an orientation day to be sure that they understand everything that faces them. And then uh, class starts the first week in January and goes through mm-hmm. April. Something great to do through the wintertime, too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. See, I thought I could walk up there the first part of January, knock on the door, walk in there and go, hey, here I am. Yeah. I want to be a Memphis Area Master Gardener. Right. It no, doesn't work that way. you got to have these things filled out, you know, mm-hmm. back in June, the year before you become or even go to the classes. Correct. Correct. Mm. But, and even if horticulture is minor, but you, you, you love your garden, you love that, but say you're a CPA or public relations, we need all those kind of people. I mean, to, to produce what we produce and to do what we do, we need people that love horticulture, but and you're not, you're only not horticulture. Asking, you're not interviewing them, asking them how much knowledge they already have. Correct. They don't have to hit Mm-mm. a certain bar no. to be able to do no. this. And you can, um, <clears throat> just a little experience... You know, you don't have to be a great gardener to participate in any of this. This no. is where you're learning to be a well, good that, gardener. That's why we're there is mm-hmm. to teach them so but, that yeah. then they can go out and teach others. Mm-hmm. So it is you know, all about teach education. Teach one, teach one. Yeah. Absolutely. And Absolutely. Then, and then when they go through the class, mm-hmm. and this is what you know, people tell me and it scares them to death, mm-hmm. and there's no reason to, there again to be scared of this, is that you take a test at the end of the sessions, right? Correct. Uh, and it's it's not like we're taking an exam in high school well, it's or not in college. Real if you don't take a test, <laughs> absolutely. Well, what we do is each week we give them study questions to turn in. When they turn them in, they turn them in before they have the lecture in that subject. Yeah. That way, they have kind of prepared themselves for what's coming up. While they're being lectured, we sit in the back and grade them. Yeah. And it's not a pass-fail grade. It's mm-hmm. a, here's the correct answer, here's what you want. Then we return those to them to study from, and their test comes directly from their study pages. Love it. All so, right, so everybody should try your best to become involved with the Memphis Area Master Gardeners. I'm telling you, it's just a, mm-hmm. it's a great organization. It's just a win-win process. And then, Jan, I know we've got three or four minutes before we have to go to the break. That's how you become a Memphis Area Master Gardener, okay? Correct. Uh, But real quick, in the first 15 minutes you were here, you were talking about some of the events that were coming up, four or five events that are really big events for y'all. Right. Uh, The first one being? uh, uh, Master Gardener Presents, which is Saturday, February 17th at Lichterman from 9 
till we get done. Exactly. At least till 12 and maybe later. Right. Right. So bring your pocketbook because we are going to have plants for sale. It's $10 if you are either a MOSH member or a master gardener or intern, but you must have your badge on. For us old school people, MOSH is actually the Pink Palace. Pink Palace, Lichterman, mm-hmm. Coon, I believe it's Coon Creek, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, several things. It's it's yeah. an organization that runs. And I think one of, it may be Mallory Neely, one of the homes mm-hmm. downtown is a part of it as well. Nice. But, yeah, so if you're a member of that mm-hmm. or uh, Memphis Area Master Gardener with your badge, it's $10. Anyone else, it's $12. Yeah. Okay. And then that's, the, that's big. That's big. Mm-hmm. Spring Fling. And I hate to say it because the Master Garden Presents is my deal, but yeah. Spring Fling's even bigger. It's mm-hmm. a two-day event, and we have either four or five speakers. And as we said, our wonderful Jim Crowder is going to yeah. be one of the speakers. And there are some other good ones as well. So yeah. uh, not to rain on his parade because he's wonderful. So Jim but, Crowder's speaking, and I'm going to be the heckler. Okay. <laughs> and uh, then Spring Fling. Well, I'll tell you, if it's like it was last year, you won't need to. The wind whips that tent, and everybody's holding a pole, but they're still listening. <laughs> right. You know, the show goes on. Exactly. So, the because, That's again, right. we're That's gardeners, right. and we're used to enduring all types of weather. There we're not going to let it stop us. No. There you go. And Spring mm-hmm. Fling is, uh, that is a money-making event, a cash that cow a money- for the Memphis Area Master right. Gardeners. right. And then we have uh, the TOG, or Through Our Garden Gates. We have the Great Tomato Contest. Now, those are all events, but things people don't know that Master Gardeners do. We have a speakers bureau. We go to libraries. We go to garden clubs. We go around wherever we can get. We go to churches. Mm-hmm. Wherever we can get two or three people gathered, we will talk. I'll go to garden centers. Right, yeah. right. We do that. We have our Ask a Master Gardener mm-hmm. table, which we set up a lot. Mm-hmm. I know at Lowe's and other places at the um, Yeah, y'all downtown. came out to, um, to Palladio. Y'all right. came out yeah. there Right, we'll do year, that. Yeah. Uh, and then we have, we have the Speakers Bureau. We have uh, Bartlett Gardening University, which concludes mm-hmm. i believe next week You're they right. do a series of lectures a six-part at, series we talked mm-hmm. about that this morning we mm-hmm. sure did they got one today on maintaining a flower bed mm-hmm. and then next saturday um raising backyard chickens oh mm-hmm. oh yeah that'll be yeah. fun and, but, and also we have groups that go to alzheimer's units it's called horticulture therapy they just do projects with them um, horticultural therapy it's a big it really is a big mm-hmm. I love the title but it is a big deal I mean you can get degrees in horticulture therapy yes. what yes. kind of tools or ergonomic tools mm-hmm. to use uh, yeah. different you know making raised beds so wheelchairs can mm-hmm. go under exactly. there's just a million things that fall under yeah. that category and then in the summertime you know people that love to grow tomatoes can't they take their wonderful tomatoes somewhere and start bragging about if they get a medal or a, or a ribbon absolutely and, and a little bit of cash i think right jamie yeah that's yeah. called the great tomato contest right that's in july in july jan third jamie saturday. third saturday you got it so okay. and that is big i'm telling I, you absolutely because we've, fun. we've said it a thousand times you can grow all the vegetables you want and they are all perfect but if you don't have a good tomato crop 
you were a failure that year for uh, some reason. You know? And I failed many years. We all have. That has to do with eating, not growing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, all right, but y'all, it's good. Just hang on because we got some more information. We'll run to a break. You're listening to the Mighty 990. Call us 260-5926. Welcome back, gardeners. You're listening to Beta, Kenneth, and Jim and the Master Gardeners. We have here Jamie and Jan and Jan. That's right. And they're great people, I'm telling you. And Jan, um, thank you for being here, and thank y'all for being here. But really You're quick, welcome. when people—I was talking to our guest, <laughs> All right. you too, Miss Veda—when um, they go through the program, I think the Memphis Area Master Gardener, and they become a Memphis Area Master Gardener. I think one of the big things, and one of, to me, one of the most wonderful, important things is you also become a volunteer. Absolutely. And what does that mean, Miss Jan? Means some people say, "Oh, never mind. Well, I don't right, want to do this." Right. But in general. Well, I used a phrase for our meetings last year, and it was, go the extra mile. It's never crowded. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and That's a good one. That, that the yeah. And, and that, that was my go-to uh, for the whole year. <clears throat> okay, let's get out there. Let's get it done. And yeah, you know, you're tired. You're whatever. Mm-hmm. But come on. You'll be surprised. That is what we are, and that is who we are, is to give back. To the, to the citizens of Tennessee, anything that we can possibly give back mm-hmm. under the name of horticulture. Yeah, so. and, and they, what is it, a 40-hour uh, volunteer timeline that you do in the course of a year? Right. It's just 40 hours. Right, and uh, mm-hmm. it's divided up into what we call, I, I'm not going to go into the specifics, sure. but you have some what we call CEUs, which is continuing education. That keeps us learning as well, because as you know, every day mm-hmm. the information highway <clears throat> just grows and grows. And then so many hours in giving to the public, be it uh, digging out at the Collierville Victory Garden and growing vegetables or teaching and working with special needs children mm. or working at one of our events, you can go to the local plant sales. Uh, you know, the Memphis Botanic Garden has one. Dixon has one. Mm-hmm. Lichterman has their right. own. You can get volunteer hours there selling plants. Yeah. So it's no so, problem putting in your 40 hours of volunteer work. Uh, I know people that have done a 1,000. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, no problem. And, and if you have a problem, see me. Right. <laughs> Well, we'll, and we'll, also, get you, we'll get you plugged in. If you yeah. end up, sometimes you have to downsize your homes and all of that. So if you don't get your big yard to work in, Absolutely. then you can volunteer at the Master Gardeners. And that's how you could probably get a thousand hours. Absolutely. Well, Absolutely. Jan, we can't thank you enough. And Jamie and the other Jan over here for coming up here and just telling people about the Memphis Area Master Gardener program as a whole. And also the events that are coming up. And like I said, the first one coming up is this coming weekend, the 17th. Uh, and that's going to be a big one also. And two wonderful speakers. And like you said, bring your pocketbook because one of the speakers is going to have some material there that you can actually buy and take home with you. Uh, and that would be great. And I'm a 
have Veda either. If I can't make it, you got to take notes for me. And if I you can't make it, I'll try to take notes for you. But one of us has got to be there. Mm. If not, well, we, we want can... you also to bring yeah. your neighbors, bring your friends. <clears throat> and I told someone the other night, bring an enemy. We don't care. <laughs> they may become a friend, you know, once they hear the speakers. <laughs> or so. is there anything else, uh, Jen, that we need? Anything else that we need to know about? Uh, you know, yeah, we do have. Well, it, it's a rough estimate. Uh, 200 people are going to fit in the main room, and we have pre-sold 113 tickets already. Wow. So, uh, but we have capability of 50 more seats that aren't in the room, but the doors are open. You can see the screen. You can hear the speaker. So we can accommodate 250, mm-hmm. but beyond that... Well, but if you want to attend this event, you need to go ahead and get your hat in the ring, I'm telling you. Absolutely. Be- you can purchase tickets on the <clears throat> MOSH website if you want to pre-purchase. Uh, I've closed it off for the Master Gardeners because then I have to get the money yeah. in. But Can you get I, it on the Master Gardener website also? No, or? we don't have a mechanism set up mm, for, for money, so that's... Go to Mosh. Go to Mosh. All mm-hmm. right. Well, it's um, once again, we can't thank you enough, Jan. It's just a wonderful program. Everybody ought to check it out. Get on the webpage, the Memphis Area Master Gardeners, and you can read about all the events that are coming up. And, you know, there again, we talked about being a volunteer once you go through all the classes. And to me, that's one of the biggest things. And there again, this is all about education. This, that's what this is all about. And friendship. Yeah, yeah. You will meet say. some of the greatest mm-hmm. friends you've ever had. I met my best friend in Master Gardener class, and I, as of last Thursday night, we got our 20-year pins. Wow. So, uh, yeah. And then gardeners right. are good people anyway. Right. Think right. about it. you know. Right. And I've got Mr. Jamie over here to my left, one of the best guys you'll ever know, and his sweet wife, Jan, over here, wonderful people there. So overall, it's just a win-win-win situation. Right. Um, hey, we had a texter text into the Mighty 990 Facebook page, Miss Donna McClure. She said, is there a plant that blooms sort of like a rose in, in the summer but dies in the winter? Also, it stays outside in the pot year-round. So it's, a, I guess, a deciduous shrub mm-hmm. that has somewhat of a rose-type bloom. Clearly, it's not a rose, <clears throat> but it goes dormant in the uh, summertime. She said, also, where can I buy it, if you know what right. it is yeah well we're pretty much all in agreement that it's an althea or rose of sharon is but, another name for but it. this is grown in a pot yeah you can okay. grow it in a pot mm-hmm. uh, that's yeah my point it's not mm-hmm. you know usually when i see an althea it's usually in a commercial setting at a mm-hmm. kroger parking lot or whatever yeah. and this thing's you know 15 foot tall and 12 foot wide mm-hmm. well i gotta find a big pot to put that thing in yeah. okay yeah. right so you're saying there's some altheas out there mm-hmm. You can start them in a pot if you want and really enjoy those beautiful blooms in the summertime. And there are some that, of course, that look like a single-bloomed hibiscus. Right. And then there's all the double bloomings. That looks more like a rose bloom. And then if they outgrow the pot, of course, Mm -hmm. you can always take take it out of the pot and put it somewhere in your landscape. I mean, if you can plant a tree in a pot, you could definitely plant a bush in a pot. Right. Yeah, the roses share, and they've hybridized so many now that we've gotten all different sizes as well but in central texas they were used a lot there because they're so hardy i love them but they were pruned into shrub form and then the shrub would just be full of blooms in the summer so of course you had to prune afterwards but it was just a blooming hedge in central and a hummingbird magnet as well yeah and they're tough as everything and great summer bloomers 
But Donna, if you look up Althea or Rose of Sharon, and you don't think that's what you were talking about, then try to get a picture mm-hmm. and send it to us, or send it to the Memphis or the uh, Jim's Facebook page, yeah. mm-hmm. Mid South Gardening Zone Six Seven Eight. And I guarantee you somebody will get back to you with the right answer. Yeah, looking forward mm. to seeing what that is. Can you post pictures on Facebook page right there? I wonder. Maybe it's a good thing you can't. I don't think can. so. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, so we'll just put it on the uh, Mid-South Gardening page. Yeah, uh, there again, Mid-South Gardening, Gardening in Zone 6, 7, 8. I always want to say 9, but I know 9 is not on there. So they can send it just to me at plantdoctor at msn.com. Plant or send it straight to Jim at plantdoctormsn.com. And Jim, is there, I mean, there'd be no advantage whether they send it straight to you or whether they put it on your Facebook page, Mid South Gardening Zone 678. Maybe an hour or so. Gotcha. Okay. So, Donna, if it's uh, hopefully it's an Althea, uh, that's what it sounds like. But if not, uh, we'll surely get to the bottom of what it is. You know, there's nothing like somebody wants something really bad. Uh They know what they want, they've seen it. But you can't figure it out. Can't find it. Mm-hmm. Don't know what it is. Yeah, can't find the picture that you saved on your phone under your four million other pictures. <laughs> you know. Yep. So hopefully we can figure that one out. Yeah. So Donna, okay. like I said, if that's uh, if it's Althea, and then let me say this, like you said, Veda, a while ago, if it is Althea, uh, I mean, to me, one of the toughest blooming shrubs you can plant. Mm-hmm. It, it, that's, I'm just telling you the truth. It, it is um, that tough. They, we used to call things like that, like grandmother's plants, yeah. but now they're getting renamed into nostalgia plants. Yeah, so there's a lot of plants that are falling under the nostalgia category instead <clears throat> of us saying our grandmother's Well, but think about plants. this, Veda. Mm-hmm. You know, different smells, different scents mm-hmm. make us think back, like yeah. gardenias, different taste, uh-huh. and different blooms. Right. They all do the same thing to us. Indeed. All right, y'all hang on because we have one more hour to go. Glad you can join us. Give us a call, 260-5926. garden help you need now mid-south gardening on the mighty 990 powered by palladio home and garden with your host veda vance kenneth mabry and jim crowder good morning gardeners welcome back to the second hour third hour hour. (laughs) you looked up real quick like where was i that's (laughs) third hour um i'm veda with palladio and i'm jim crowder um i am a retired nurseryman and also the administrator of our facebook group mid south gardening gardening in usda zone six seven and eight and so we're getting more friends on we are facebook we are group. we picked up uh, like 400 members in the last month um and and we're you know starting now to get lots of people posting things mm-hmm. and questions um uh, to our our uh, person who who sent us a text a little while ago talking about the althea look up the smoothie series of althea they uh, they have really double flowers. There's a blueberry smoothie, I think, a raspberry smoothie, and there's a, five or six in that series, I think. But those are really double flowers. Um, you know, the one I have in a pot container is the is purple pillar pillar. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is an upright, very narrow one. Only gets two to three feet wide, even when it gets six feet. So tall. that's for real. It that's does for real. only. Mm. Yeah. Um, now in a pot, I've had issues with the flowers not opening quite as wide as. As they should. So I think this year I'm going to put it in the ground. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, it's a beautiful plant. You know, long bloom mm-hmm. season on it, uh, and it's a I would call it a semi double. It has it's not a true. You know, they are hibiscus, hibiscus cereaceus. So they're just as much a hibiscus as the tropical one. Mm-hmm. You know, or the uh, the perennial one. 
Um, but they, and some of them have quite large blooms. So to me, for your summer color, there isn't much that'll give you that long a season. Yeah, that's you true. Know? And yeah. there's not used much to be to nobody wanted time. to plant them because uh-huh. they were they seeded terribly. You would get them oh. to come up all over your garden, but almost all of them now are sterile. So you don't have to run into that issue anymore. I wondered why people had stopped with it. Of course, plants do kind of go in and out, in and out. Um, And the advertising and the new varieties is what's brought them back into popularity now. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a a bunch of them that have names like Greek gods, like Diana. Yeah. Um, That's like one of the the first one I remember. Right. Uh, and, And I have had... Although they're technically sterile, I have had some come up from seed around it, but not mm-hmm. many. Uh, so, uh, in fact, I've got one growing in the garden right now that has yet to bloom. It's up about three feet tall now, and this mm-hmm. year I'm going to transplant it and, and see if I can see what it's got on it. It yeah. may end up just like its mama, and it could be a seedling from somewhere else that just mm-hmm. had a bird happen to drop there. Yeah, but not to the point where if it is a seedling from the one you planted where it's invasive. Yeah, they're you not know. coming up all underneath yeah. it. Yeah. You know, so Rosa Sharon's a good, hardy one to, it's a great to incorporate. Yeah, because I see them actually, okay, it's a shrub, but you can also prune it up to be tree form. Like yes. the I've seen, yeah, I've seen <clears throat> multi-trunked ones. I've seen single trunk. So you can make it fit any situation. Oh, That's a you, good small lot plant. I need, all right, I need y'all's opinion also. Back in the corner of my backyard where I had a mimosa tree, right remember? Mm-hmm. And uh, loved it. You know, had the blooms. The hummingbirds loved it. And it never was invasive. Veda. Mm-hmm. It, it, it did not... I mean, it, it was just there, and I never had a problem with anything under it. You know, right. you read yeah, about at least mimosas. Not in his yard. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. It's working right in yours, right? Maybe in other people's yards, they had a problem with it. But anyway, it got uh, knocked over with a storm this year, and they, you know, had the stump ground out. And I'm seeing little mimosas really? coming back from the root system, uh-huh. okay? Uh-huh. But my thing is, do I just be patient? Because I know, you know, they'll grow pretty fast, and mm-hmm. just let them kind of come up and maybe. Snip it, snip everything out that I don't want, and only keep what I want. But they are coming back. Some of them are coming back from the root. That's good. Or I was also thinking about the chocolate mimosa that has that more of a brownish purple mm-hmm. foliage instead of just the old fashioned yeah. green foliage. But I'm saying if they're already starting to come up and these are green, I definitely, I definitely have to wait and see what happens. Yeah, okay. I would, yeah. you know, I would leave three or four. And yeah. let them come on, and then yeah. you know, at some point, you may decide I just want one trunk. Right, take out the strongest one. Well, I that's mean, true. all but the strongest. One. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So yeah, I think that's, that's what I'm going to do because yeah. I do want that tree back there. That <laughs> just corner. does not want to dig another hole. Yeah. <laughs> Lazy exactly. <son> <laughs> no, it's uh, I mean, you know, it's just that I, I, I'm so impatient. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and these things are only you know late fall. They were only like six inches tall. Uh-huh. And oh well, you'll get triple. I know it. If I'm just because there's already a good root system, of course, uh-huh. down there. You know, if you leave three or four, there's your opportunity to shear it into a ball like the rest of the stuff <laughs> on the property. You good, good you. You're being funny, Jim. <laughs> yes, okay, so yes. just be patient. Ow, I think he just kicked me under the <laughs> just table. Just be patient and just see what happens, yeah. and then thin them out if more than. Uh, you know, two or three mm-hmm. come up, and then, like Jim said, eventually just pick the strongest one and cut the yeah. other ones out. Yeah, we were doing that with the crepe myrtle that was out on the street in front of the uh, the front of the store. It had somebody actually drove into it, knocked it down, but then there were sprouts coming back up. So they picked uh, the guys picked like two strongest of them, and now they're about six feet tall. Yeah, and so mm-hmm. it's working. But guess what? We're going to change that side, and so we're probably digging that one up now. After uh-huh. all of that, course. that work to make that happen. 
but it, it works if you just pick a few strong ones. What about, can I bring something up? I had a, no. uh, a, a lady come into the <laughs> garden center, and she moved into a house, and the previous owners had planted a southern magnolia, beautiful southern magnolia, about 12 feet from the side of the house. And to me, that is a little close. That's, that's close, yeah. Yeah, to plant a magnolia, southern, southern magnolia, southern magnolia uh, to the foundation of any home, because we all know what the root systems do on these southern magnolias. So this thing was getting bigger, of course. The roots were getting close or already up under the house. So she's going to have this tree taken out, grind the stump, and she wants to plant another tree mm-hmm. in that area. And I was thinking about that. People need to know that you're right. When you plant a tree, first of all, be strategic where you plant it. Second of all, it's like planting a crepe myrtle that gets 30 foot tall right mm-hmm. in front of your house. Well, she could do a magnolia again. Well, a sweet bay. bay. We talked about that, Jim. But she's got a sweet bay in the mag- backyard that she's going to move. So she mm-hmm. doesn't want another magnolia. Uh, I figured sometimes when people take something down... They rarely want to go back with the same Even thing. Even though it's not the same, <laughs> yeah. and it's in that same family. She's like, no, nah, I just don't want a magnolia. But a sweet bay would do perfectly fine. Yeah. You're exactly right. But I was thinking about if it's, if it's getting a little shade, you know, a Japanese maple, mm-hmm. you know, would be absolutely beautiful. Whether it's the fire glow, like the gentleman was talking yeah. about this morning, a blood good, something like that. And then there's uh, Kusa dogwood, mm-hmm. you know, that's a dogwood if you want mm-hmm. those beautiful white blooms, but it doesn't get massive, right. you know, like, of course, like a magnolia. Uh, fringe tree, mm-hmm. you know, the Chinese fringe tree yep. that has those beautiful white blooms, Jim. It's not going to be right. get a, to be a big tree. Do you have redbud on your list? Redbud, yeah. Veda, you're on it. Uh, redbud, mm-hmm. uh, fringe tree, uh, service berry, Kusa yeah. dogwood, Japanese maple, and those were just some that right. she could plant or somebody could plant there, that she still gets her tree. She wants to create a little shade for the shade garden that's mm-hmm. back there, but they're not going to invade the foundation of the right. home. Oh, they could even do a Chase Vitex, and there's some new ones mm-hmm. coming out, too. Chase Vitex is beautiful and different, too, a little different. So, the, uh, you know, I always like to have, like, sometimes if you look around your neighborhood and there's a selection of, plants and varieties and all of that i like to pick something that's not in the neighborhood because i can see theirs Mm -hmm. but i want to see something different so maybe you know chase vitex would be different than what everybody remember last weekend or weekend before that i was talking about there's a new vitex on the market Mm -hmm. they said that would probably be the longest blooming flowering shrub in your landscape yeah Mm -hmm. yeah. so in in beautiful white or blue Uh blooms theta kind of looks like a butterfly bush and see that's a summer that's Mm -hmm. another thing that you can have blooming in the summer but also you know there again so i wouldn't recommend planting a southern magnolia 12 feet from 12 feet from the foundation of your home, mm-hmm. knowing that eventually, later on, it's going to probably need to come down, mm-hmm. and that's exactly what she's doing. But when we get back, if y'all want to talk about some of the tall, slender columnar trees mm-hmm. that people really can incorporate in a landscape because of all the smaller areas, yeah. Jim and Veda, smaller spaces now that we're having to plant in. So then it's going to be... That's an alternative to an arborvita. <laughs> arborvita is definitely one of them. I like the tall, skinny trees, but they're not providing me the canopy shade. Yeah, and in this case, she's wanting a little shade, too, for her shade garden. And mm-hmm. the ones that are truly 
columnar, columnar or no. skinny and tall are not going to do that. No, you're long. exactly right. No, yeah. we're not talking about replanting to where they took the magnolia down. I was talking about those other trees for gotcha. that. Gotcha. But okay. these are some other trees that you can mm-hmm. potentially incorporate in a landscape if you don't have a lot of room and you need things to grow more up and down. Right. <laughs> they all should grow up and down. <laughs> <laughs> all right, y'all, we'll be right back after these messages. <laughs> Gardening, give us a call 901 260 5926. If you don't want to be on air, Philip can put the message up for us, or you can leave questions on the Facebook Live. If you're listening to the podcast and you have a question, then you can put it on um, our garden page that Jim does, uh, uh, Mid South Gardening, USDA Zone 6, 7, and 8. Yeah, a lot of stuff going on. We were talking about. Um, you know, planting smaller trees where they need to go uh, instead of planting trees that get massive where they really don't need to be. But also, like we're talking about, there are some trees and shrubs that grow more straight up and down, okay? Mm -hmm. Uh, And I was listening or watching a webinar the other day, Jim and Veda, uh, and this guy was in Nashville, and he, you know, made the comment that the houses out there, uh, they're, they're building so many homes, but the space that the homes are actually built on are getting smaller and smaller. So they're needing to incorporate some of these uh, either trees or shrubs that do grow more straight up and down just because of the lack of space. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the tall, slender, columnar trees and or shrubs, one is a uh, Taylor juniper. Okay, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, why do we not see more Taylor junipers around here? Is there a reason? Well, they grow quite well. Now, what I have found with Taylor, Skyrocket, and a lot of those, as they get some serious height on them up in the 12, 15-foot range, they tend to open up some okay. and, and just from their own weight. And they, they're not as attractive as they are when they're under 10 feet. Yeah, gotcha. Okay. So, but they will do exactly what you want. Yeah. So Taylor Juniper definitely was one of them. Yeah. That I was thinking to myself, you know, we sell a lot of Juniper Skyrockets and uh, on and on and on, Jim, but we just don't hear a lot about Taylor Juniper, and that's, that was one that was uh, that he surely and, mentioned. And also here, Junipers have this, people think about Junipers, and they immediately think about bagworms. Yeah. And so that's, That's true, know, and spider mites. So. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's something that people go, oh, no, I don't want to have Yeah, to because spray, in their mind, they're thinking know. about, right. well, the next one, they should think about bagworms also. And of course, that's the Emerald Green and Emerald Giant, or Green Giant Arbivita. And he said that is uh, their biggest seller Basically, year after year, is the emerald green or the emerald or the green giant arbovita, uh, and we all know that's a pyramid-shaped evergreen, soft foliage, not stickers, no needles or anything. Um, and you know, we still incorporate and use those a lot here in the Memphis area. So that will always be a good evergreen, whether it's individual mm-hmm. evergreens that you're putting out there, or whether you're trying to create a green wall. Uh, you can't go wrong there. Now, what about the columnar Norway spruce? Okay. Anything that says Norway and says spruce in a gym. I I get a little leery on that. Right. now, Because there is a difference between our environment right here and right down the road in Nashville. Yeah, or even Jackson. Exactly. So they might be able to get away with it not so much here. And that's why I put that down. And it's the winter drainage that we'd be so concerned about. Okay. Um, They just, they don't like to have wet feet for prolonged periods of time and Unfortunately, our soil has a very, very slow um, percolation or movement of water through it, so yeah. that, it can be an issue. Now, I know a guy right. who's growing some serious spruce here, 
He doesn't plant them. He sets them on top of the ground, mm-hmm. brings in a nice loam mix, and puts like a 20-foot circle around it, starting at 12, 15 inches tall, narrowing down to meet the ground way. So that it looks like it's on a little mountain. Exactly. Just and, like they would say a rhododendron right, or something. Right. And he's done Alaskan, the Weeping Alaska, uh, the Nootka yeah. or whatever it is, Spruce. He's done quite a few things that... I would have thought would not survive here, but he's proved, proved me wrong I'll be darned. just by not planting them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Just by, just say, hilling them in, if you will. Right. Some of the deciduous shrubs, and Veda, we've all seen these, the slender silhouette sweet gum. Yes. Right. You know, we see a list. lot of those yeah. being used in commercial settings, but they are also definitely can be used in a residential setting also. Right. We're seeing also, you know, the city of Memphis now, when in their planning commission, they're getting more involved in telling you what you can and cannot plant True. on your property. True. And particularly when we're looking at the power line areas, they're demanding that you put narrow plants. If there's just no room, mm-hmm. you they want the sound break. Yeah. Right? They right. want some green in there, but they don't want something that they got to go back and oh, prune. I love it. You know? That's and, fantastic. And this one's called a kindred spirit oak mm-hmm. it's an oak tree and i saw a picture of this thing yeah and it is a slender columnar oak and it looks beautiful i'm one, just telling you one of my favorites is the upright english oak uh quercus robar fastigiata it uh, it's a super very thin telephone pole type oak but it's got that nice lobed uh leaf mm-hmm. of a white oak it's it's to me just Absolutely spectacular. And you don't see them very often, but they are really, really good trees. And easy to grow around here, Jim? Yes, they Just are. like any other oak tree. Yes, they are. Of course, you know, the the, the white oaks tend to be slower. Right, than because planting. they live to be 200 years old. But, you, know? you know, typically if you're planting one, you're going to find one in the 12, 15-foot range, you know. Uh, and that's that's a good size. It's going to block most everything above your fence during the, you know, right. when you don't want to... And that's People what you're doing. You're just trying to block out the upstory, the you know, the upstairs window and the neighbor behind you. Right. That's really all you're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, three other trees. One is a Princeton Century Ginkgo. Of course, yes. we all love ginkgos, the beautiful yellow foliage that you get. There's nothing like it that you get in the fall. But this one definitely is more columnar shaped, okay? There's a green vase Zelkova. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the picture that I saw on these Zelkovas, they were in this little bitty planting area in the middle of a parking lot. And you're talking about a hardy tree. Yeah. It will grow in, in, in the middle of a parking lot in a small amount of dirt. All yeah. the air pollution, the mm-hmm. heat, everything not being watered, and they look beautiful. Zelkova is a great plant. Uh, the last one, Red Centennial Japanese Maple. Now, I had never seen a picture of this mm-hmm. one, never even heard of it. But they say this thing, and the guy that called this morning mentioned mm-hmm. Fireglow. Yeah. You know how Fireglow has more of a red foliage than, say, Blood Good? Uh-huh. Um, but they say this centennial Japanese maple really keeps its color even in the heat of the summer, where a lot of yeah. times the maples start to fade. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Now, it's not that this doesn't fade at all, but it really has a beautiful summer color, guys, mm-hmm. and it's more columnar also. And look up red mm-hmm. centennial Japanese maple, and I'm thinking, guys, man, if we start incorporating some of these things in your landscape. Right. Gosh, there's a buckthorn. That's tall and mm-hmm. slender. Yep. You could almost, there's a dawn redwood, actually, that's mm-hmm. slender. Um, what mm-hmm. about the cypress? I've seen a slender cypress. Yeah, there's cypress. a weeping cypress that yeah. particularly yeah. is and very, very yeah. uh, narrow. Yes, that. Well, even weeping yopons. Uh, yes. You know, I've seen some that are 30 feet tall that aren't more than six feet wide or so. Right, mm-hmm. that's so they're, true. And when they're loaded with berries, I mean, they're mm-hmm. spectacular. 
So oh, don't. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. So don't think that you can't find specimens that mm. will grow in those little niche areas where you're thinking, my God, I don't have enough room to do anything yeah. here other than put ornamental grass. Yeah, because you, know? you can do like there's a teddy bear magnolia that's thin. But these are even thinner than the teddy yes. bear. I think they they fit better in a lot of situations. They're looking good. They look really nice. I I've can remember a conversation Ferd Heckle had with one of his customers where he you know, she said, I need something. I've only got about six inches of space to plant between the fence and the driveway. I need it to get about 30 feet tall. It needs to be evergreen. <laughs> and he looked here and he said, I'm sorry, but God ain't made that one yet. <laughs> <laughs> think about it. Six inches wide. I need uh-huh. this thing 30 foot tall. So I guess it's you not could- going to happen. Paint a telephone pole. Oh, yes. <laughs> Wires and branches on it. Oh, that's funny. So yeah, I mean, so I, I just think it's you know it's something to think about. Uh, usually, there is a plant or a tree specimen that we mm-hmm. can find somewhere if you dig d- uh, deep enough to fill a spot. I don't care what it is. Before we get out of the break here, I want to talk about one of our partners who has joined us again now, and that's Herba Systems Incorporated. We have, um, you know, we talked about earlier, if you're going to have a lawn service, get a good one. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yes. And, you know, they did my yard for a long time, and, and once I'm, they still do my daughter's where I live now. And they do my sister's gym. They're, they're a great, yeah. great company. You know, I started doing ads for them back in near, just right after they started in business. And before I would do those ads, because I will not do a live ad if I don't believe in the product mm-hmm. that right. we're talking about. Right. Uh, I followed their trucks to make sure that their guys were doing things properly. Uh, I sat down with Kenny, and he went through his program, you know, and it, everything was just right. And even while I was there, he had a driver come in and said, the wind's picking up right now. And Kenny said, call them all in. And mm-hmm. Kenny Crenshaw is the owner he of Herbie Systems, yes. And, you know, and he is, he is the most conscious about the environment of any any lawn care company man that I have ever met. And let me say this also. You know, how many times, you know, I work in a garden center, all we hear are complaints about Uh, lawn care companies. I'm serious. That's all Mm -hmm. we ever hear. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know to this day if I've ever ever heard a complaint about Herbie Systems. Uh, You know, there are always going to be some people that aren't happy. I get it, Jim. You know, you you go out and you see one weed between you and the mailbox and they go, they're not doing their job. (laughs) But I'm telling you, I mean, but I'm telling you, if you want a good quality lawn care company, these guys really care about what they're doing. They're proud. Yeah, they are. Jim, and they're right here from Memphis. They're local. All local guys. And he's always gone the extra step, even in his facility, when there were things that he didn't have to do, like seal his concrete where they wash the truck. They collect that water that they wash their trucks with and put that back into the tank so that it's resprayed and not going into the sewer system. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're really very conscientious people. Their phone number over there is 901-430-0148. You know, you should give them a call. Visit their website at herbicsystems.com, and you will be so pleased with the quality of service and, and what they're going to do for you. You know, I'm not going to tell you they're the cheapest. I'm not going to tell you they're the most expensive right. because to me, that absolutely does not matter. What I want is quality right. service, and they always did that for me. And, Jim, give me that phone number one more time. It's 901-430, and I just put my finger on it and lost it. There we go. <laughs> four, four, your finger and you'll see it. 430. <laughs> yeah, 430 Yeah, okay. fat fingers and these little tiny phones just don't <laughs> do very good. And, of course, that's the number straight to Herbie Systems. Give them a call anytime you want. If you want really good high-quality landscape or lawn service. I'm telling you, they do a good job. Yeah. Be worth your phone call. Yes, sir.
Well, we're going to take a break here in just a few minutes, so we don't have a whole lot of time left. But I, one thing, and I'm not sure, did we talk about this? We may have talked about it off the air about companion plants. Yeah, we you know, did we, a we little had, bit. We had somebody uh, put a question on on their face on Mid-South Gardening. Do you have a list of companion plants? And when we get back from the break, I want to talk to you mm. about where you find a good quality list. Okay? Ah, so companion stay with us. Plants. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Mid-South Garden on KWAM. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. We've got time for a few calls, 260-5926, or you can post your questions on Facebook Live. Yeah, when we were going out of the break there, we were talking about companion plantings. We had a, 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 a question on the Facebook group, uh, Mid-South Gardening. You know, it, it wondered if anybody had a, a good uh, list of companion plants. And what is a companion plant, Well, a companion Jim? plant is something that you plant alongside with your crops, and it does something to help the crops. Gotcha. Okay. Most everything you see on the internet is of little value. Mm. It's not based on science. It's based on what people think. Okay. Gotcha. Big difference. Right. You know, I have seen, particularly, you see some pictures that come out of, out of Japan where they have these nice rows of tomatoes and they are full of blooms of marigolds right in between them. Mm-hmm. But there's little science to back up that they do anything as far as keeping insects off the tomatoes. Gotcha. And they are a spider mite magnet. Yeah. So, you know... It sounds good, but you never see any research backing up what they're doing and why they did it and the results they got. Getting back to some of the garden myths again. Right. Yeah. So, you know, if, if you're going to look for a list of companion plants, look for something from a university because they're going to have the reason and the test that show, you know, some plants are just the what they do as far as the mycorrhizae in the soil. Okay, mm-hmm. it's not something you see up top. It's not about insects. It's about benefiting the plants, like using plants that are that need nitrogen and using companion plants that are nitrogen-fixing plants. Gotcha. So, go and the best one I have seen is one from Virginia State University. They have a they have a printout called Companion Plants for Your Garden. Virginia, Virginia State University. Gotcha. And if you go there, go to their website, you'll find that list. And to me, that's been the best one, and it's one I've used in the past just for my own research. And I will read that because I'm curious about that. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and, I, and even there, I found several articles when I was doing some searching from universities that talk about companion plantings, but they didn't give us a good list uh, or what I felt like was a complete list. Uh, so Virginia State's got the best one that I have seen. I, I encourage you, if you're interested in trying companion plantings, you're going to have something that will actually benefit your plants. Okay? <laughs> right, right. And yeah, I, also companion plantings can be another term, too, as you're planting all your dry plants together. Yeah. They're companions to each <clears throat> other because they're, you're not trying to overwater this one and underwater that one. So that even can be companion plants. But like we were saying, everybody was thinking of companion plants of only the top part. Right. Of, oh, this one's going to attract beneficials. Which is good. Yeah, which could happen and all. But there's so much more, I believe, that's because of the underground network that's happening. Absolutely. But even there with the top, I've seen people that say plant the miracles because it brings in honeybees for mm-hmm. your pollinators. Well, honeybees are not good pollinators for tomatoes. <laughs> Okay, bumblebees are what you want. Okay, they they vibrate, and that's exactly. what makes your pollination. So you know, honeybees are really not that good of pollinators. Mm-hmm. You know, 
worldwide, they only pollinate about 10% of the crops. In the United States, it's about 30. And yeah. most of that is the almond crop. And what about the flip side of all that? There are also plants that you never, ever really want to plant together That's or true. close to one yeah. another. Right. And you kind of need to know about that also. Mm-hmm. Even, let's say, in a, a backyard garden, you know, you've got potatoes and you've got tomatoes and eggplant peppers. You still want to rotate your crop. Yes. Okay. Because you will deplete the soil of certain, whether it's you know elements or minerals or whatever, mm-hmm. if you keep planting the same plant in the same spot year after year after year. So, yes, I think it's great to know about companion plants, one plant that will help another one way or the other. But also be aware, like I said, there are some plants that you don't want to plant together and you don't want to plant in the same spot there again mm-hmm. year after year. Yeah, One of the questions that mm-hmm. I see a lot is, what is the best fertilizer for X? My tomatoes, my potatoes, and whatever. Yeah. They ain't one. <laughs> okay? With If you don't know your your soil and what it's either high or low in without a soil test, you're just spitting into the wind here yeah. because you know, it's not going to hurt them probably, right. but if you're trying to really give that plant what it needs, then you've got to have a soil test to know what you're doing. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. Or if you use an all-purpose fertilizer, Jim, whether it's a liquid, whether it's granulated, whether it's organic, if it's all-purpose... And it's got some nitrogen, phosphate, potassium, but it also has some of the minor elements in it. Like you just said, you're not going to hurt anything. Right. I mean, you're just putting in an all-purpose plant food out there. But let's just say you, you need something. You need potassium, for example. You need that in, in the soil because your soil and your garden is depleted. Well, if you just put a g- generic you know, fertilizer out there, it might have some potassium in it. It might not. But if you have a soil analysis run, then you know exactly, Jim, how much potassium you need to put in that plot. Right. And one of the things, you know, we see a lot, particularly with people say they have calcium deficiencies. That's why they're getting blossom end rot on their tomatoes. Okay. Well, calcium is only available when the soil has sufficient water in it to make Mm -hmm. it soluble. But here in Memphis, almost every soil test you read will be high in phosphorus. This is right. And when you get to a pH just above seven, Phosphorus and calcium lock up into an iron that's unex- that's not available. Is so that wet, why? Is that why we have so much uh, that's the high why. phosphate yeah. levels? Right. Whenever you add water to your soil, your pH goes up. Okay, because it frees up that calcium and makes makes your soil sweeter. Okay, but because Thank of goodness. the because of the phosphorus, it can lock that calcium up and it's unavailable even if you put it down there. Okay, mm-hmm. so um, so like. I like to do all natural because you get a little bit of everything. But if you're having issues, you should definitely get your soil tested first. Because even though you use natural products, sometimes something can be off. Mm-hmm. But don't guess it. Because, I mean, you just heard what Jim said of, of just how these little dynamics have to go away, have to happen. So if you get your soil tested, you're not guessing at it. But he's right, though. I guarantee you, I'm telling you, 9 out of 10 soil test analysis that you ever look at the phosphate levels are going to be high or off the chart. Mm-hmm. Here in our soil, they almost always are. And that has a direct effect, Jim, on the calcium uptake of different plants. Mm-hmm. So if I've got a garden plot and I'm going to mix up the soil, I'm going to add my compost, I'm going to add my fertilizer, probably going to even add some lime in there to make sure that I keep that pH up. Mm-hmm. But like you said, if that thing is already really high in phosphate, I don't need to add any more phosphate, correct? You, you don't. Right. <clears throat> And almost all the soil tests we see, you know, they'll say, you know, you'll be moderate high to moderately high in phosphorus. They'll be, you know, slightly high in potassium, but you're always deficient in nitrogen. And that's, always. you know, that's what you've got to add. 
And a lot of times, you get, like calcium nitrate, we, we talked so much about that with Blossom Enrot, but mm-hmm. that's an excellent fertilizer. Love it. You know, for plants that really don't need any additional phosphorus. Because mm-hmm. you can have phosphorus toxi- toxicity if you get it too high. You know, I remember when Dale St- Skaggs took over at, um, the Dixon. at the Dixon, you know, first thing he did was start running soil tests, and he banned anything with any fertilizer that had phosphorus <laughs> in it from being put on the property. <laughs> yeah. Because it that, had already gone through the roof. Yeah. Well, it's like... Since we have phosphorus naturally in our soils, well, then when we get a fertilizer, we shouldn't get a, the middle number. Should be little or none. Yeah, yeah. in I most mean, cases. In most yeah. cases. And most look at cases. look at most of your lawn foods now. Your mm-hmm. synthetic lawn foods. Yeah. Uh, they typically have no phosphate in it. Mm-hmm. Like a twenty four zero four, like fertilome lawn food plus iron, or mm-hmm. or a sixteen zero eight, like classic lawn food. Yeah. They have no phosphate in it. Right. And that is for this region that we live in. Mm-hmm. Now you go to another part of the nation, they might have extreme amounts of phosphate in that fertilizer. Yeah. Right. But even if you go like into Florida, you they don't want phosphorus there because the sand is so mm-hmm. so uh, the soil is so sandy. Yeah. Phosphorus doesn't bind to anything. It'll flow right through it. Mm. That's why we have that green bloom mm-hmm. at the end of the Mississippi right. River. Right. Okay. So you know, there are other reasons also. So we shouldn't buy like a super bloom that's got like a 350. You most definitely, you most definitely can if you're trying to encourage something to bloom. Right. You, but just around mm-hmm. that one plant. It's not something yeah. I would use around a perennial plant usually. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's something to force annuals to really be spectacular through the season. Yeah. So Phosphorus so- makes them think they're going to die. Okay, mm-hmm. by giving them this huge dose of phosphorus, it makes them shiver a little bit. They think, "Oh God, I'm dying. Let's make seed." Yeah. So they bloom. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. it's just a, a reaction to and it. And since it's an annual, we're not going for long term health, right? And we're mm-hmm. just and you're not applying it to all your beds. You're just mm-hmm. you're just spraying it kind of over the top, let it wash into mm-hmm. the soil. So you're affecting a very small area. Yeah, yeah. So and that's you're right. Good to know. So. So like adding a bunch of phosphorus to make your althea bloom that's planted in the ground. You still could do that. Make a solution. Mm-hmm. You can get uh, fertilizers that have 59% phosphate in it. Mm-hmm. That's a high number. Yeah. You can make a solution to that and pour that on the root system of that one althea. And if anything in the world would encourage that thing to bloom, which mm-hmm. you probably don't have to use it on althea, yeah. but that product would. But if I already have it in my soil a lot and then I add it, then do I create toxicity? No, because it's in a water-soluble, and like Jim said, it really doesn't mm-hmm. bond that well. Right. So it really doesn't matter that we get something with phosphorus or not. The main thing I would be concerned about would be vegetables, okay? Mm-hmm. That's where I would long-term. Or if you're spraying it year after year after year, yeah. you could get, you know, the some of your foliage may not look as good. It can yellow out. Probably still mm-hmm. bloom its little heart out, yeah, you know, but yeah. still it may not be as an attractive plant. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's annuals and vegetables yeah. where you want to be careful with that phosphorus um, mm-hmm. so that you just don't overdo it. That's right. All right, let's run to a break, and we'll be right back. Good morning and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Continuing on the phosphate thing to continue on after I've been hard-headed. But in Ray's bed, not hard-headed, but just getting at a point. No, hard-headed is a good one. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm just talking about in our natural native ground soil. But we're raising beds and building beds. Right. So... That's, that's a little where different. We need to. That's a little different because yeah. you know, depending on the type of soil that you use, some of it that I see added for for raised beds have little or no clay in them. 
Right. So most there's, of them don't. Right. Yeah. There's not much in there for phosphorus to even bind to. Mm-hmm. It's the reason that what we're talking off the air here is the reason you don't need to add phosphorus to your compost pile because first good rain, it's all on the ground. <laughs> you know, right. there's nothing for it to bind to. It just yeah. goes right down through it. So, you know, it's um, raised beds or an issue like that. If you're doing annuals, you know, and <clears throat> prepping the soil, a nice big hole mm-hmm. around it, you're only using part of your original soil. Mm-hmm. So True. your phosphorus high is not going to be as high. And a lot of times we plant things like sun impatience in a little too much shade. Right. Yeah. You know, they bloom, but not spectacular. And phosphorus can help fix mm. that. Right. Okay? But like I say, mm-hmm. it's not something that I would spray, you know, put in my sprayer and do the, all the beds yeah, with. Yeah, right, right. Or <clears throat> containers, because you're not going to have exactly. that phosphorus in the uh, potting soil that you're using in containers. I use a high phosphorus fertilizer when I'm fertilizing my, my lotus. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's got more yeah. nitrogen in it than anything, but mm-hmm. I put a you know instead of putting like one tablet in there, I'll put four tablets in yeah. there gotcha. to help increase the blooms off of it. In fact, somebody last year said, "Hey, mine even planted in in the water don't bloom that well." Right, you right. Know? And it's all in how you feed that plant. Man, and I tell you what, it's more fertilization than you ever thought because I bumped mine up. You know, as from the mm-hmm. show of us talking about it uh, last year, and you were talking about how much you fertilize. And I was like, you know, sometimes you get caught up on the fact that the water is balanced and, and it can uh, produce its own fertilizer and all. So the plants do, they do f- okay. But when I started really adding those extra doses of fertilizer, man, they were walking out of the pots. Well, <laughs> and, and that's what's baffling to a lot of people. There's so many different formulations of fertilizer, so many numbers mm-hmm. that are out there, whether it's a water-soluble, whether it's a synthetic, a man-made, or whether it's completely organic. Uh, and that confuses a lot of people. But like Jim and Veda and even I say a lot of times, if you take that bag and you set it in front of the plant, the plant duck can't read the bag. That's right. Okay? right. Just there's turn a, it around if just, you have any uh, question about it. That's exactly right. And there's so many that are just all-purpose plant foods that are perfectly fine to use. And that's the point. The point mm-hmm. is doing it. Yes. Not as much as what it's got. If you've got some rose fertilizer and you just a little left, throw it on your zayas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They won't suffer from it. Right. Okay. Because it's better than throwing it away. It that's needs right. to be used somewhere, yeah, some kind right. of way. Yeah, because, I mean, there are, like, there's the flower tone and the holly tone and now the azalea tone. You're reading my all. mind. You Espoma azalea tone yeah. is a new Espoma product, a new name, and it's called azalea tone. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? exactly the same thing as hollytone right okay it's just the wording on there Mm -hmm. but in the south where we have so many azaleas it doesn't hurt to have that name azalea tone on the bag because people walk through there they might see hollytone well they Mm -hmm. they know they can feed their hollies with it yeah what about my azaleas well what we're just talking about i tried that out on the uh the kids at work or the some of the cells people that are are learning about this as i had the hollytone and the azalea tone and um, no, I had I didn't have the the azalea tone yet because mm-hmm. they didn't know about it. So we just had the holly tone. And I was like, OK, y'all, what are you going to fer- fertilize your azaleas with? And they're looking at this and that. And they're like, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. And mm-hmm. I said, so then I stocked it with the azalea tone. And they're just like, well, right. obviously, I'm going to use right. this. And that's one of the things. In a, in a garden that's center, right. you yeah. absolutely mm-hmm. cannot positively wait on every single customer that comes into your place. No. Mm-hmm. You have people that come in, and they're just looking for something, and they right. want to check out and go. They grab it and go. Right. So by giving these names like that, Bougainvillea food or right. Azalea food, you'll see something, oh, well, that should be good for it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's, that's a good thing to do. Right. You know? But, yeah. you know, 
when you got people that like listen to this radio program, mm-hmm. uh, they know they know yeah. that a fertilizer is a fertilizer. Okay, right, right. you know you can use whatever you've got. Now there's some things you don't want to do. You know you you typically don't want to <coughs> throw lawn food down on your zayas. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. You know that's a lot of nitrogen. Okay, yeah. <coughs> but even though it, you're putting probably down the same amount of nitrogen if you're doing it properly. True. But Proper is the issue, mm-hmm. you know. Like, well, hey, you know, I got a 20-pound bag of Zaya food last year. It did all of my Zayas, yeah. yeah. you know. I got a 40-pound bag of lawn food this year. Well, I'll just <laughs> use half of it on my Zaya. Well, it's probably not a good idea. <laughs> right, yeah. because it has so much more nitrogen, Jim. Right. right. So, yeah. you know, there is there is a little math involved there, mm. yeah, okay? So, um, right, what are y'all... No, go ahead. What are y'all's thoughts about... Because people ask this question all the time about planting... Japanese maples really in full sun. You know, they, yeah. they want that thing. Mm-hmm. They want that Japanese maple, and that's really where they want it. Yeah. And it's getting full sun. I mean, and we know they'll grow there. Mm-hmm. But tell me why I shouldn't plant well, one there, or I, is there a reason? I tell the customers it's uh, up to you because you may have some burn on it some years. In the and summertime. maybe sometimes <clears throat> not. I said, so if you can tolerate a little burn on the foliage, mm-hmm. And because if you want it in the sun that much, mm-hmm. but then also tell them you need to fertilize some more or take care of it a little bit more because it's working harder in that situation. Because that's so not basically, really. Basically, I'm like, no, just don't plant it in the sun. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the, the only ones I would not plant in the sun definitely would be those that have yellow leaves or they have some sort of variegation in them. Okay, that variegation is going to burn early in the season. Probably. So, so no yellow leaves, Jim. You would not put that in full right. sun. And things sure. like butterfly, which has a beautiful right. variegated leaf, some pink and reds or and whites in it. Um, well, full moon is actually a well, green that, one. Okay, yeah. it, it would do okay. Would you do the lace leaf in the sun? You can. Mm-hmm. Okay, but again, again, it's like Veda said. You know, mm-hmm. it's going to require a little more water, probably. Okay, it's going to burn more. Okay, uh, you'll get your best color with the reds and the, always in full sun. Yeah. Okay, um, the you start backing down the sun, you begin to get more bronzes and greens, and in fact, even on a, a, on like a blood good, if you just lift the limb up and look at the one under it, it's that, green. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, you know because it needs that sun to bring out that right color. So, all right, my question to beg then is, okay, I know I can plant it there, mm-hmm. but be aware that I could get some scorching, some burning on the foliage. You're going to late right. summer, and again, that's because. You're planting it where it really, you know, it would prefer to be in St. Louis. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Right. When your soil temperature gets to about 70 degrees, Japanese maples go into a sort of a semi-dormancy. They don't move water very well. Mm-hmm. And when you've got that very thin lace leaf foliage, you'll get some burning in it just because of desiccation from the wind and the sun. Okay. So it's perfectly normal. The hotter and drier it is, the more damage you're going to get. So in the sun areas, I would probably do more uh, root-stimulating fertilizers and soil building fertilizers to get that roots even more to pull up some of the water adding the organic matter every year Mm -hmm. like you talk about is just a a broadcast top dressing of a a half inch or so it's going to do wonders for the plant long term right and see that's also you said because of the heat it's kind of dormant that's why right when we see the beginnings of fall happening, we see all this color. Pop of new growth. Yeah. Yeah, as, as the temperatures begin to grow down. Yeah. And, and usually almost every year, that will be killed by the freeze. Yeah, sure. right. You know, so yeah. In, early in the spring, you got three or four inches of dead there. You have mm-hmm. to trim off of them. And right. it's just because, again, where we are. Right, so so the- y'all asked me, you know, would you plant it there? 
So I would give everybody the recommendations, but for me, if I wanted a maple and I didn't have a shade spot, yeah, I'd plant it in the sun. But the bottom line is, though, that's not the perfect place for it. You you know, a full sun around here in Memphis, Tennessee is is a brutal place to put anything. (laughs) And knowing that if you put it out there, like Jim said, you're going to get beautiful fall color, Mm -hmm. okay? And eventually, if it grows, it would kind of shade itself, but it's just not the perfect spot to put a Japanese maple. Now, they can tolerate a lot of sun. If you've got an area like on the east side or where the west side and gets, you know, protected from that hot afternoon sun, knock yourself out. But all I'm saying is a lot of people think that they can put a Japanese maple in full sun, which they can. We just Mm -hmm. talked about that. But you're going to get a burn on that foliage come summertime. But it's not going to kill the tree. (laughs) No. Mm -hmm. It's going to come out next year and look absolutely spectacular. What, What bothers our Japanese maples isn't it the up and down temperatures here is in the winter? Is that like the biggest issue with our maples? Well, I mean, or? they're fairly cold tolerant. You know, yeah. the, I'm, I'm not as concerned about cold temperatures mm-hmm. as I am, you know, not giving it the proper summer care and keeping it mm, yeah, mulched, okay. keeping it moist. Um, Makes sense. They're, they're Some, under stress here. Yeah. Like, yeah. like me and <laughs> like, you and everything like else. Us, <laughs> like yes. I said, this is not St. Louis. Yeah. And also, they need really good drainage. And if you mulch them, mm-hmm. don't use a heavy layer of mulch right. on top of that root system. As want, anything. Also, well, want to thank our sponsors and our partners for joining us. Thank you very much.